0: and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. I'm Mike, a learning designer with The Open University, imposter syndrome incarnate, and a man who's knackered his voice with too much podcasting. And I'm joined by an entire conference today. Yeah, this is a conference in a pod. If you follow the channel, you may know that recently attended the playful learning conference with a big sack of microphones and did a lot of recording while we were there, about 8 hours and 15 minutes in total, which is uh, quite a bit. So what I've opted to do is uh, condense some of my highlights down into this conference in a pod to give you uh, a flavour of who we spoke to and, and what we learned while we were there. If you weren't able to attend the conference yourself, then hopefully you'll find this the next best thing. And if you did go there. Then I suppose this is a good aid memoir, well, a little audio scrapbook of uh, my experience. But yes, for a bit of context, uh, Dr. Mark Childs and I attended the conference both as learning designers from the Open University and Durham University, respectively, but also under the Pedagogzilla banner, the banner of this podcast. We used it as a fun way to uh, to talk about pedagogy and sort of general geekery with the uh, participants there, and yeah, it was really fantastic it's the whole experience was genuinely a kind of a career and podcasting career highlight for me so alongside this conference in a pod um, i'll also be releasing an article slash blog post over on the learning design blog that's the open university learning design team blog so that will sort of be a companion article to this or this conference in a pod is a companion podcast to that article depending on which way around you want to think about it But what the gosh darn heck is the Playful Learning Conference anyway, I hear you ask. Well, let's go over now to an interview with Nick and Alex, two of the Chairs of Playful Learning, and hear it in their own words. Joining me around this very cool, relaxing table in a quiet corner of the conference, we have...
1: So, I'm Nick Witten. I work at Durham University. I am the Director of the Durham Centre for Academic Development and the Co-Chair of the Playful Learning Conference.
2: Well... And I'm Alex Mosley and I'm uh, head of Anglia Learning and Teaching at Anglia Ruskin University and also co-chair of the Playful Learning Conference. So,
0: uh, wow, I feel junior at this table. I feel decidedly junior.
2: Could you not tell
1: how important we were by our important countenance?
0: (laughs) Do you know what it is? It's the interesting levelling effect that the pink shirts have. Yeah, so anyway, we're at the Playful Learning Conference uh, and we've got, you know, the two co-chairs of the conference, the movers and shakers with us. So it would be a remiss of us not to ask you about it. So what is Playful Learning? the conference playful learning the concept is bigger i'm conscious
1: <laughs> so alex and i met at a conference probably we, in fact we were in the same slot maybe 15 years ago mm. and kind of just got on because I, I was really interested in what he was doing he was interested in what i was doing Sorry,
0: but just got on as in i was about to just leave like barely just, just, yeah no, ba- no, no, we barely just, got on <laughs>
1: <laughs> we got one another i think it's, yes. I, I think is that fair enough yes, we
2: clicked didn't we yeah
1: we actually still hate each other
2: but yeah,
3: we're just yeah. tolerating <laughs> each
1: other <laughs> um and i think we ended we ended up probably going to the bar and over the next kind of few days of the conferences and then meeting up at other conferences would continually pick up on the fact that conferences were really boring because they were just people being talked at uh, by other people, and even if they were doing interesting stuff, particularly as we were looking at pedagogic innovation, my headphones are falling off, that's better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and those are the good ones. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very slippy. Um, that actually, this was a really boring way to try and get ideas across. And given that we worked in education and it was all about getting ideas and teaching, we started thinking well, what would a conference be like if you started to question all the assumptions on the Pick a conference?
2: Yeah. And, and make more of the things that people always seem to like, but never had time for. Like, you know, that everyone loves the coffee breaks because you get to meet new people and mm. chat about stuff and reflect on the conference. But they're always really short, rushed. Uh, there aren't as, as, as many as they need to be. So we with things like that, we sort of tried to flip them kind of on their head for playful learning. So we thought, okay, well, what's, what's bad about the conferences we normally go to and what, and what would make it good? And that's what playful learning is.
1: And we were lucky enough, must have been back in 2013, we both got National Teaching Fellows in the same year, and neither of us could work out what to spend our money on. So we thought, let's use it to find a conference.
0: This year is a little bit unusual. I mean, this is a bit unusual. Three in, years. Well, in well, one year. Well, quite. So you're combining three years of conferencing into one year. And we've got a kind of cool time travel theme going on so far. My first activity when I came in after the long drive and then needing a coffee and then small cake um was to prepare a um a circuit board sticker for for the time machine time travel wall um yeah so the time travel theme combining three years into one um tell me about
3: it
1: well when covid hit in 2020 we'd already got uh, playful learning 2020 ready good to go we had the program and actually cutting that was i remember having a conversation very early on and we're going that's going to be fine it's going to blow over and then about a month later again we're going to have to cancel it so we had a program good to go and the original plan was to run 2020 and 2022 and then always be two years behind because we figured that would really mess with people particularly when they were writing their cv and they have papers from 2020 that were in 2022 and then we thought actually that might be getting a bit complex and what we found is that we have still had When we came back this year, we still had a lot of people from 2020 who still wanted to come present, but it wasn't quite a full programme. So I think that's when we hit on the idea of like, you know, we've got three days, three years. It seemed a bit, oh, there's something going on here. Let's, Let's do three years of conference in three days.
2: Yeah. And, and because we you know, we already only have half a drawer full of Playful Learning T shirts, we use that as an opportunity to have three colours for the three days and therefore create more T shirts to wear in the future. They are excellent T shirts as well. They are really excellent.
1: Well there will be opportunities to win these T shirts during the conference.
0: <laughs> Tell me more. Or is that a top secret? We haven't made it up yet.
1: But we <laughs>
3: oh. there
1: will be opportunities. <laughs> oh
0: excellent. Okay, good to know.
1: Possibly we if in fact if you want to encourage people to speak on this podcast, then we will give a T shirt to the person who we think Tell us the most amusing joke on your podcast.
0: Okay, that's a challenge a to issue. A challenge. Okay, I'll, I'll end my all future interviews for the rest of the conference with <laughs> "Give me your best joke." oh Excellent, excellent. Can I can I give you mine? Oh, go on then. It's, it's awful. Go on. It's a bad pedagogy joke. Go on, go on. When I say behavior, you say ism. Behavior, ism. Behavior, ism. 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 Five points. See, that's. Oh, can okay. I say my favorite joke? Here you go. <laughs> What's white and
1: falls out of trees? I don't know. A fridge. <laughs>
0: It's awful. Yeah, I like yours more. Um, Where'd you go from that? I mean, mine's the best teaching aid, just saying. <laughs> where were we? What were we doing? Oh, yeah, we were doing. A, we were talking about playful learning. Um, yeah, so I guess for, for listeners at home, uh, you may be um, potentially uh, connecting to the conference online. We have a, sort of an online section tomorrow, I believe. We do. Um, or you may just be kind of just tuning in because you've got ears and an internet connection. You know, stranger things have happened. The the program is jam-packed. The program is absolutely jam-packed. It's been a real, um, I don't want to say Sophie's Choice because it's a very different scale of decision, but it's been really tricky working out which ones to go to. I mean, I'm actually missing a session now, which I'm gutted about, but at the same time, I was knackered from the previous two sessions. Um,
1: Well, if it helps, I've never been to a session in an entire ever at a playful learning conference. Wait, what? Yeah, other than the keynotes, I've just never been able to go because there's been too much stuff going on. So I have no issue of favouritism because I'd love to see them all and I can't. I might, I've been saying to Alex that because this is my last year of chairing, I really want to go and see a session.
0: Oh, you're going I'm to come going... as a participant next year, maybe? I am. I am. Mm. Oh my gosh. And I've, and I've done a mix.
2: So so I've, I, I go along to certain sessions, but, you know, because we're sorting stuff out around the sessions a lot of them we have to miss as as nick says and sort of things out um but we we always say at the start of the conference particularly for people who've not been before don't be kind of overwhelmed by the amount because what because what we're not trying to do here is to pack in loads of stuff into Mm. a conference the whole idea is to is to make enough available that there's variety that people can choose something that works for them Mm. and and that something can include for example this year we have quiet room we have outdoor spaces we have a board game cafe we have different we have we have podcast stations we have other other places where people can go that aren't actually engaging in a in a creative workshop or something like that but it's still you know spaces to play yeah. and you're thinking and you're reflecting and you're yeah. playing at the same time
1: we get complaints every year that people have, we put too much stuff on in parallel. I don't know what we do to that. Otherwise, we have a, like, a strand for really boring stuff that no one wants to go to <laughs> and they don't have to choose.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: I, no, I really like that philosophy. It's kind of, it's real, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's choice. It's allowing you to find yeah. the things that connect to you. And also, I really like actually in the messaging that came out uh, before the conference about, you know, yes, we have quiet spaces and we have the board game cafe and just, you know, be it's yeah i think somebody early said i mean uh, liz and alice earlier said to me uh it's a it's a marathon not a sprint and it's like yes that's a really hmm. that's a really good force
1: it's about building the relationships for people that you're going to work with in years to come
0: hmm.
1: not about going into rooms and having loads and loads of information
2: fostered on you Yeah, hmm. or just getting little ideas that will like th- flourish into things with other people or when you go back to your own place that kind of thing it's that it's that kind of thing and they're they're the kind of things that i think with the more traditional conferences you get no time to do that because you might have a thought over the, you know, the normal conferences, but then you plunge straight back into work and you, you never have time to do it. Yeah. So the idea here is to, is to give you some kind of physical memory with it. So you've been building something with others or creating something, which gives you a bit more of a, a chance of reflecting on that mm. in the spaces to then go and build
0: something afterwards. So as to playful learning, I'm trying to find like a, a title that began with a P that princes, princesses, Prince I, proponents playful learning proponents that'll work yeah um
1: not as good as princess though
0: yeah i i don't know it's, it's finding one that fits you're definitely a princess i'm trying to figure out what i am <laughs> <laughs> you make a good archduke you've got a good kind of like archduke yeah it doesn't quite fun. fit though does it
1: you, you like to get shot if you're an archduke
0: oh, oh no of What's course yeah character? no i i just like the title of archduke i always, always really have
1: arch duchess
0: is there, is there a word for fool that begins with p for fool fool?
2: <laughs> <laughs> a fool
0: there is now uh <laughs> uh sorry. This is why editing happens. There's a lot of editing that goes when in Oh dear. Total fool Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm like my, basically my brain is my brain cells are slowly being replaced by pollen. Um so I'm just like <laughs> um okay, so as two playful learning proponents, two of I'm gonna say two of the leading playful learning proponents on the basis that he did a conference on it. Um reflecting on um Elliot's keynote this morning on you know their in, not, not just interpretation, but sort of following the logical line of what playful learning is to them. What is, A, your interpretation of playful learning as a concept? B, how do you apply it in your own practice?
1: I could talk for a long time about this. I've just written a book on this, so I could talk probably for about six hours nonstop. But I will try and sum it up. I think for me, the key thing is this idea of the magic circle. Ooh. And this is an idea that comes from play theory and game theory, about when you go create a game or when you go into a playful experience, you are in this sort of idealised space where the rules of the game play and you have a tacit agreement with other people in the space to play by different rules in the real world. So take chess. If you're playing a game of chess, the fact that you have a board and the fact that you have chess pieces, you agree to do the rules of chess, whereas if actually what you wanted to do was steal someone's king, you could just pick it up and run away. So (laughs) it's just like hair-going face making me laugh. Um what's really nice about that is that what happens in the game space the magic circle kind of stays in the magic circle. So you have already got an agreement to play even if you're playing competitively, your agreement is to go into this space and do things differently from the real world. Um which means that uh, you know if you think about it over time, you can build trust, you can build communities, you can build relationships. You do it voluntarily, you do it in a place where you're happy to make mistakes. Because if you look at games are designed for mistake-making, otherwise they'd be really boring if we just went and didn't make mistakes. Learning's not designed for misca- mistake-making. Mistake See, I did that on purpose.
0: Oh, ah, yeah, yeah, Meta.
1: <laughs> it's designed to not make mistakes. So actually, if you think about playful learning as a place for making mistakes, and then I really like this idea of um, a ludic attitude, and this comes from a philosopher called Bernard Suits. This is my plug. A book called The Grasshopper, if you read nothing else on play, read this and it's this kind of word that means the spirit of play so it's this tacit agreement to enter into the magic circle and abide by the rules of the play space and actually i think for me playful learning is about creating learning spaces where you have this magic circle
2: nice yeah and you know in, in, i've got sort of shared ideas about that but we've also we also met actually thinking about uh alternate reality games we've both been involved in developing and or working with alternate reality games which famously like blur uh, fiction and reality uh, and and so the magic circle around something like an alternative reality game is blurred and and the and the whole game approach is to is to work out how to move people between the inside that circle and outside that circle and, and that you know a lot of people have written about the blurry nature of a magic circle so for me it's that's the interesting part actually for me and that's the bit i've often looked at in 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 my my sort of work which is more about then becomes like the invitation to play. Who's looking in from the outside? What brings them into the inside if they're looking in from the outside? If you step out of it, why are you stepping out of it? And what's the re-invitation in and that kind of thing? And when you transfer it to learning, it's very much about you know engagement and it's very much about being there for things or not being there for things and being invited for things and not being invited for things
0: and that kind of thing. Yeah, It's really interesting kind of the... <sighs> Yeah, I, I suppose the the way I'm filing this in my head is this: you're creating this socio-conceptual space. Oh, I like that. Yes, I just made that up. Thank yeah. you. Well, sounds yeah. impressive. Well, I, I really liked when I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Um, the um, it reminds me actually of, uh, sort of theatre. It's uh, sort of it's the uh, the social agreement to suspend disbelief. Absolutely, because you That's and hard. I know that these these tights are actually made from nylon and not from authentic itchy wool. And that uh, actually, you know, the the donkey over there is two blokes in a suit. But, you know, we're willing to all kind of suspend our usual mode of thinking in order to achieve an objective, which would be entertainment, enjoyment. So that's
1: the whole idea of loosery attitude. Mm. That, like you say, yeah. suspension of disbelief that everybody's in it together. And in the, uh, yes. So the, I think the, this whole lucery attitude and what happens in the circle stays in the circle, which is, of course, bollocks because it doesn't really work like that. You know, you've got a team building game with your manager and you beat them and it's going to come out. And then, you know, there's this leakage. It's, it's, it's a fuzzy boundary. Mm, yeah, um, I can't remember what my point was. You might want to I take mean, the
2: uh, The other thing I think that we, we've both got more interested in more recently, particularly as we've both become kind of senior leaders in our, in our areas of work, is, is uh, playful attitudes or, or playfulness. And it, it links from that ludic attitude. But it's then about... It's not so much the things you do, as in you don't create games, you don't create play spaces, that kind of thing. But it's more about the way you think about everything. You know. So playful leadership, as an, as an example, What's it mean to be a playful leader? And for me, it's about things like openness and invitations and agency um, and challenge and that kind of thing. So things you draw from play and game theory, hmm. but then how you apply those in a, in a, a leadership or HE environment. And that's become quite interesting to us both.
1: Okay, following on from that and bringing in kind of Elliot's talk today, I think it's seeing play as a political project that it's not a pedagogy. It's actually thinking about the ways in which we encapsulate democracy in play and equity in play, and like Alex said, openness and how you can take these values and beliefs and actually apply them to other things in the rest of the world.
0: Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how I, I thought we silenced. Well, no, I, it's one of those weird things where even after. Three, four years of podcasting. I still don't know how to say a thumbs up, but I'm just like, I'm emphatically nodding and giving a thumbs up. But I have no, no. You could
1: try nodding and panting like an overenthusiastic dog.
0: I, that's going to sound really weird when you're listening with headphones. But okay. Yeah, I. Oh, I think that's just going to be uncomfortable for people. Yeah, that's the right? late night ones. <laughs> Welcome to late night pedagogy. Today we're looking into ludic, ludic pedagogy. Um. Yeah, that is Is it that time already? Um, I just suspended my disbelief. <laughs> and boys, it's suspended. People who want to uh, follow the Playful Learning Conference, where can they do that? So it's very, we're very
2: active on Twitter. So if you look at Play Learn 20, 22, all together as the hashtag, that's that's a good place to look at. Lots of stuff going on there. Um, but also, if you go to um, the website just look at playful learning conference comes up in google um you can see what's going on over the few days and over time we'll be adding things like um pictures um snapshots documents creations from the conference as well podcasts indeed as well and there's the online conference going on tomorrow as you mentioned already
0: and so to the start of the conference today one so uh playful learning conference kicked off with dr elliot Spath's rousing keynote How can educators play fair by throwing out the rules? Now, his take on being playful in a learning context really stuck with me throughout. Reflecting on and questioning the rules we have in a playful way and questioning the assumptions that they're derived from. The assumptions educators can have around either ideal or implied students can uh, can in turn lead to the construction of a kind of obstacle course of rules. And this this was something that, you know, (laughs) a metaphor that has, has really stuck with me. And while it may be sort of intended to constructively challenge those idealised students in a learning context, it can completely floor those outside of those assumptions. Neurodivergent students, those with different lived experiences, that sort of thing. also said that rules should be a bit like pens, and that you should regularly give them a bit of a scribble, and, uh, yeah, look at the intervention and impact, and if they aren't working, chuck them out. I mean, Elliot extols the benefits of this much, much better than I can, so, uh, yeah... Here he is now, uh, chatting with me shortly after delivering his keynote. I am joined by the fabulous...
4: Dr. Elliot Spath. I guess that I'm meant to be the person answering that based on the beautiful hand gesture you did not see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Elliot, what brings you to the Playful Learning Conference other than your keynote, which you just delivered? Oh, I love the Playful Learning Conference. I would actually say it is the only conference that I've ever enjoyed and if given my way I would probably only go to this conference in future because it is a place where I can feel really safe to be myself and there aren't that many places where I feel that. I feel that this is the first one I've ever really wanted to go to. Is there any particular session that you're really looking
0: forward to apart from the one I think we're both currently missing on the the exquisite corpse thing which sounds amazing?
4: Well I'll tell you I have been so... Caught up with trying to get my talk ready, that I haven't had a proper look at the program, so that is all ahead of me. But the one that we are missing at the moment did sound very exciting. Yeah, I think we're going to. How do you feel now that you've got your keynote done? Really relieved and excited. Fabulous. Yeah, uh, Doctor Alex Faith has done uh, the keynote that
0: opened the conference, uh, and yeah, brilliant. It's great. just Really thought provoking, uh, which I know is kind of like a very sort of actually no, really thought provoking is such a generic thing to say, but it genuinely was. I've got like two pages of notes here, so I guess just to kind of. It sort of took us through an interesting journey of asking, A, what is playfulness of defining playfulness and looking at it as being a, a questioning or a sort of, you know, a moving around an amorphous look at the rules. As we see them, then looking at the rules, where they come from, rules themselves often being derived from assumptions. Um, and then... Uh, Sorry, my notes are. This is my handwriting, by the way. I have no idea I love it. how I expected to um, to read this, um, and how this can create obstacle courses um, that only really work for ideal inverted commas bunny ears students. So, and then also, oh, and then prompted us to to examine our own rules. So. Kind of, I guess, thinking on that and sort of for the people who didn't have the pleasure of your keynote and might want just kind of like, you know, some of the uh, some of the, the highlights, some of the top tips from you. How can educators play fair by throwing out the rules?
4: That is indeed the question. And I think it's often a disappointment to people that I don't have a really neat set of rules that will work in all contexts. Because wouldn't that be great? Although, although by definition,
0: having a neat set of rules would already be... An antithesis of what you're trying to do
4: absolutely that is indeed the core challenge of this kind of thing I think for me the core is to be compassionate both to yourself and to others so part of it is a mindset thing I would say that's for me probably the biggest thing is having the attitude of being open to learning about how your teaching might be in, Being experienced by different people in different ways doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Just means you might not have thought about how that was going to go down. So that is one thing. I think trying to design your teaching to be inherently flexible is really good, which I'm aware sounds pretty nebulous. So a framework that can be useful for considering that is something called universal design for learning, which refers to the idea of rather than only making changes because maybe you've heard that somebody's requested a specific reasonable adjustment for a disability you can do that too but also trying to think proactively about how you can make things welcoming for as many people as possible rather than thinking well no it really does have to be done this way the challenge of course is how do we do that without relying on that imagined or implied student we have in our heads based on our own experiences, how we've seen things happen. And I think the best thing that we can really do is try and ask our students. So rather than maybe singling out the ones that you notice might be struggling, something you can do is use a little informal questionnaire, something like Mentimeter or Microsoft Forums at the beginning, just asking people what Their various preferences are, you can keep it anonymous if you like, and you can get a really good sense for whether people tend to prefer to work in groups or by themselves, whether people really like being able to verbalize their thoughts and answer questions, or whether people would really rather listen. And then you can use that to inform the methods that you use. Another option is just to provide alternatives in situations where people might not always be comfortable or thrive in the environment you're setting out. So for example, if usually you might say, "Hey, let's discuss this in groups." You can also say, "Or if you could pref- if you would prefer just reflect on this by yourself. You can take some notes if you like. You don't need to." And that's encouraging that level of active thinking, which is I think what we really talk about to me when we're talking about active learning. Because it centres it on what the student's experiencing, whether they're active, and not whether you can tell that they're being active. And that's the core to me, I think. Is this uh, this is getting back to something you mentioned earlier: a mild distaste for assessment. <laughs> yes, I'm not the biggest fan, uh, to put it mildly.
0: I suppose the uh, the the issue with uh, assessing criticality as an approach is that what are you requesting? You request? Uh, are you assessing the uh, the modal ability to? be critical? Are you assessing actual critical thinking, knowledge of the tool sets available? It's uh, it's a
3: tricky one, isn't it? In
4: my opinion, indeed, if we if we assess critical thinking, to me it's often it ends up assessing people's ability to apply an existing framework to being critical mm-hmm. and not necessarily critici- criticizing or not necessarily being critical of the framework itself. Yeah, sort of a metacriticality. Right. So it's like we're asking people to conform in their criticality which is just a wonderful recursive staircase to fall down yes it's very escher like isn't it i'm <laughs> not sure how i feel about it or like did you ever play um mario 64 where you if you haven't got enough progress yet you try and go up a staircase and it's just infinite stairs mm. with no end i love that i
0: absolutely love that so thinking as well so thinking just kind of uh, to some of the questions that came afterwards uh made me think about what you're saying there uh Responsiveness to, to being being uh, responsive and um, observing the people that you're teaching. People often gravitate towards absolutism and rules because it gives them a sense of security and it gives them a sense of control over uh, a situation, a sense of you know being able being able to do something. You know, the problem with uh, I suppose to a lot of people being responsive and you know almost being making up on not making up as you go along, but responding to things on the fly is that it is quite scary. It's essentially improvisational. It's not something you can necessarily plan for. You can have a metacognitive toolkit that enables you to do it, but it's still a little bit bum squeaky. Uh, a bit like this interview, actually, which I feel like I wrote a lot of notes for, and it's just completely gone. This is brilliant. I'm delighted to hear Yeah. That. So how would you express, I mean, and I know you kind of answered this a little bit in the thing, but I guess I just want to go down your thought train a little bit further with this. How do you express the tension between the need
4: people have for absolutism and the benefits of that flexibility and responsiveness for me the key is to think about it from an emotional perspective not that there's a way we should do it and if we don't do it that way we're wrong so for example somebody that likes absolutism that's not wrong it's extremely understandable i personally don't love uncertainty. And taking a small side note to so my PhD, uh, which was on anxiety disorders, finding uncertainty difficult is a very common thing for people who are anxious, autistic people, lots of different reasons. It makes sense. Now I've gone off on a tangent. My point is, I think when we talk about learning and teaching, we don't think about emotions as nearly as much as we should do, and. Valid emotions. Because to me, if we really want to create change, we need to figure out why. And to me, the why is often feelings. And actually, I think even just surfacing that itself is the first step. Something I try and model with my students who are lecturers in themselves is that it's okay to be wrong. And what I tend to say to people is I don't think students would mind if you were wrong as long as you. We're respectful to them. If you'd been really quite mean to them beforehand and then you turned out to be wrong, might not go very well for you, but you've got other issues going on there. But modeling that doing something well, okay, let's try that again. Can I, I I think I can get where you're coming to on this. Yeah, but I'm not answering the right question, I don't think.
0: Oh no, but I love the question you are answering, which is that the why is feelings and the how is empathy to a degree. And that by potentially creating Mm. an environment where empathy goes one way, you're modeling it the other way. I love that. Okay, yeah, or have I or have I gone diagonal?
4: No, I love it. that's kind of where I was going with it. I mean, the thing I wanted to talk about was universal compassion in a way. I think when we're teaching or in any situation, it can be a survival mechanism to say, Ah, well, those students are hard to reach, for example, so I don't really need to think about those. You know those students well they they should have just read the course handbook, so I don't need to think with empathy or compassion about their situation and you know that absolves me of having to do anything but it's also that empathy to oneself and I feel like for me to say oh well it's unacceptable for lecturers to do things this way unless they're intentionally being cruel disrespectful etc to me that would be just really inauthentic of me considering my pull point is that we all experience and feel things differently and that is really important and matters tension is a really big deal I think for me, it's often tied up in a broader idea of moving from the idea of lecturer, educator, whatever, as producer, transmitter of knowledge. Sage on the stage. Sage on the stage. It rhymes and everything. Love it. Um, Shout out to all you Final Fantasy fourteen players who are going to get the Sage reference right there. (laughs) Moving from that towards somebody that facilitates other people's understanding of knowledge. And I think because it's often built up in that, like, yes, it is absolutely scary and horrifying, but it is part of quite a transformation. The thing that I think comes in additionally when it comes to inclusion is it's a different type of fear of getting things wrong. So it's not just... Oh, I'm really scared that they'll ask a question I don't know the answer to, which is a big one, I think, understandable, especially because we're generally, it's a lot of uh, imposter syndrome in academia because of some pretty toxic systems in place. I like to say it's um, get a whole bunch of people that are used to succeeding, put them in an environment where there's a million ways to fail and no clear way to succeed. And this is what you get where were you when we did our recent episode on imposter syndrome? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know, but I'll be there for the next one. Oh, brilliant. Being wrong about facts is one thing. And I, as I've said, I, to me, I think it's great to model to people. Oh, I got that wrong. This is actually it. And I've heard lecturers do this so well. They say, well, actually this is at the cussing edge of the field. If that is in fact true, you know, I'm not saying you should make that up. Um, so that's a really good question that people still don't have, or even saying to them, that's a really tricky one actually. And so I don't remember right now, but I'll look it up. You're like you were saying, you, you're empathizing. Oh, uh, you might not keep that in the edit. Mm-mm. By talking to students about why you might be struggling with the question or why you might have gotten something wrong, you're empathizing with their experience of being a learner, you're, you're being in that place with them, which I think is a really generous thing to do, to share your struggles or vulnerabilities and say, oh, actually, this paper I've always found really tough. Brilliant. Fantastic. The challenge with inclusive learning, I think, is that there's also this idea of getting things wrong as a violent act. I suppose not an intentionally violent act, but an act that might somehow have some sort of unintended violent effect. So we hear this when we talk about language, for example, concern about maybe accidentally using the wrong pronouns for someone, and I think concerns about that are used very genuinely, sometimes a little bit weaponized. Um, But that's maybe a conversation for a different day. But the point is. And I think when I said this, people have been quite relieved before from my perspective and all the trans people that I know, um, other trans people that I know, just to be clear, we just mind that you try. So what we find violent would not be somebody using she, her pronouns by for me by mistake or calling me my birth name by mistake. It would be refusing to use my chosen name and pronouns and that's how I feel think about it with inclusive practice it's not that you tried something and maybe it had an impact on someone that yeah what what would feel violent to me would be refusing to use my chosen name because to me it's saying your opinions and feelings don't matter mine do and so I'm going to oppress you by forcing my opinions and perspective on you from my way of thinking about things for example, when it comes to learning and, and teaching and being inclusive, if somebody were to say, wow, that didn't really work for me, then even just saying, oh, wow, I, I have no idea. Thanks so much for letting me know. I'll have a think about it is a really simple thing that you can do to respond to that. And hopefully practicing that will show that it's maybe not that dangerous. Maybe it is OK. Maybe it will feel safer over time, but it probably will be pretty difficult at first. So I very much empathise with anyone that's at that point of thinking about teaching.
0: So thinking then, if we had to kind of maybe pull that together into a neat little JPEG that you could put over a sunset with some text on it, and then share on Facebook.
4: Oh, you want the caption?
0: No, I guess I'm just thinking of sort of pulling together some of the themes that we've said. It's like inclusive, well, deriving from like the very top. So going from sort of the start of playfulness to inclusivity. And the thing about inclusivity in education practice as educators being human, uh, being empathetic, your pedagogic pals on the side, um, and being
4: approachable and responsive. Would you say that's a fair summary? Yeah, absolutely. I think also things to keep in mind are the default or current way of doing things is not a neutral statement. I think people sometimes think, oh, we can do that because that would be making a political statement or that might go wrong. But that's making an assumption that what we're currently doing is politically neutral and working for everyone. I think the thing that's difficult about engaging with the fact that there might be all these sort of rules based on assumptions that might not be quite accurate. The scary thing about all of that is realizing, God, it might be that a bunch of the things that I'm doing actually aren't working for people, which is horrifying, I think. But it's necessary to me because the alternative is still doing things that might not be working for people, mm. but just refusing to be aware of it. So it's not a choice between getting things right and getting things wrong. It's a choice between deluded certainty and aware acceptance of the unknown. That's a wonderful, wonderful way to wrap it up. That is very much the bow on top of that. That's- are you going to do your JPEG now? I mean, yeah, can it be a cat though can i have a cat a cat yeah i've cat. got some cat pics if you like yeah yeah afford
0: me a cat pic great yeah banging. okay great. <laughs> well, elliot thank you so much for that um yeah so this is mike uh, at playful learning uh elliot where can people find you online
4: i am on twitter at my name is quite difficult to spell it'll be in the show notes as well that's great it is at elliot spaith and i also have a Hastily assembled websites, which is chronicallyelliot.wordpress.com. Remember, two L's and two T's in Elliot, the second T is for testosterone.
0: <laughs> so, we've been uh, Mike and Elliot at the Playful Learning Conference, signing off. A couple of reflections that have uh percolated for me in the uh, the week following this were, were twofold. I mean one is that I've seen some of this actually reflected in my own practice over the last year. I mean I'd personally made a choice to be a bit more playful in my practice mainly for my own sanity but I found that it's actually improved my work and kind of my interactions with my colleagues and my sort of overall approach to, to education. And that in turn sort of leads me to wonder about the rules and assumptions in my own practice so unspoken rules around organizational hierarchy and professional interactions and other people's expectations i think it's something that i'm going to be taking forward into my work with module teams and challenging them to consider what assumptions they have maybe what unwritten assumptions they have which are in turn leading to rules about how they're approaching distance learning and whether there's any space to be a little bit more playful with those so, following the keynote, I had a mad dash to College Court, where the uh, the bulk of the conference was, um, and got the uh, the Pedigondzilla recording station set up. A couple of the recordings of which you've you've already heard, and uh, yeah, just started recording like mad. Um, so, the format we had for um, kind of the interviews and things was uh, standard interview format, but we were also recording um, sort of two other threads. One was. Uh, kind of a drop-in uh, recording, ideally sort of aimed to be about sort of uh, between five and fifteen minutes, where we could just talk to people about their practice and about games they're passionate about and how the aspects of those might uh, influence one another. And another, doing a piece of research into um, into other fellow edu podcasters and their experiences of that, which I think the intent is that Mark and I will write up into a paper. Uh, watch this space soon. Anyway, the game conversations were initially intended as a kind of a a light icebreaker, sort of a way of having a nice informal chat around something that people were passionate about before transitioning into speaking about their practice, but we did actually find that people had some really profound links between their their personal passions and drivers and their approach to education practice. I think there's probably a deeper bit of work to be done actually looking further into this, but for now it's just a lovely collection of 10 to 15 minute chats. I think I might have maybe 20 or so. Uh, from uh, from the whole conference, um, but all just with incredibly interesting and wonderful, genius, articulate uh, folk. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to sharing those, but I'll just, uh, I'll pepper one or two of those into this conference in a pod for you, just to give you a flavour of some of the other people who were there and the incredible things that they were bringing with them. So let's go now to, uh, I think the second of these I recorded with Daisy Abbott. joining me we have
5: hello i'm daisy abbott i am a serious games researcher at glasgow school of art and i also teach i teach research skills and that's where i mostly focus my game-based learning efforts
0: serious games research okay this is gonna be this is gonna be great so i mean i i already asked you uh, listeners i'm cheating a bit because i did already ask daisy on the way there but daisy what brings you to the playful learning conference
5: uh, yeah, so we don't get to go to very many conferences. And this is the one that is my like compulsory, if I go to nothing else, I will go to Playful Learning because it's a very fun conference and it's very um, inspiring and it, it affects my practice to, to be here and share ideas with people.
0: Oh, fantastic. So is this um, this is clearly not the first time you've come then.
5: No, I think it might be the fourth one I've been to. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't remember. It's been a long few years. It has it
0: has been a long few What's been happening over the last two? Some sort of strange fug over the last two years or so
5: but interestingly it's been a period of radical change in teaching in higher education and that feeds into i'm seeing so much of it at this year's um, mm. conference because our hands have been forced and people who perhaps wouldn't have explored playful approaches before are or active approaches are now beginning to see the benefits of them from this kind of period of radical change
0: so before we came over here daisy said whatever you do don't just sit down and ask me to say something profound daisy's just sat down and said something quite profound hashtag just saying
5: hashtag best interviewee ever oh yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) um so daisy can you tell me about a game somewhere in your life that you're really passionate about could be a video game board game um something you play with your family a sport
5: Oh, gosh. Wow. How to pick one? Um, a game that I'm passionate about. I mean, people normally ask for what is your favourite game and I've got a good answer for that one, but a game that I'm really passionate about. Um, a game that I'm... Oh, gosh, I'm going to have to say my game that I designed. I'm so sorry. Oh,
0: plugtastic.
5: Yeah, yeah I don't mean to plug it. So it, it comes on. My favourite game is the board game Galaxy Trucker. OK, where you play, it's in two phases. And in one, you build against the clock a spaceship that you never have enough components for. And it's very stressful and it's kind of a, a playing against the clock. And you look at this spaceship and it's written into the rules of this game that you're supposed to stand up and look at your opponent's spaceship and go, oh, you're not going into space with that heap of junk, are you? I love that. And I really embrace that kind of schadenfreude aspect of this game. And this this board game inspired me to create uh, my first game for teaching research skills, which is called how to fail your research degree. And in much the same way, <laughs> in much of the same way, you build, you, you sort of build a, a, a set of activities that a student might do. And then events happen to you and blow up your spaceship, the spaceship of your master's degree. So... why am I passionate about it I guess it works and I'm really surprised that it worked so well uh, and I do see it making a difference in the life of my students and it's it's been shared all over the world and all sorts of stuff so I guess I've sort of answered the favorite game question there but I thought I would well I
0: think you've interestingly I think you've answered question two and three as well so we'll get to that in a second so what is you know what is your practice what's your day-to-day?
5: Well, mostly I like writing papers, so I'm really into serious games mechanics. I love the nuts and bolts of how games work, and partly that's because I think that um, games in learning suffers from a reputational problem, uh, as many people at this conference will probably mention. Ah,
0: um, gamification.
5: So, well, yeah, gamification being different from game-based learning, um, games not being taken very seriously. Um So I love the theory and I love the mechanics and the nuts and bolts of designing games for learning because it helps to convince skeptics of the rigor of the activity. But it also helps you design a game that actually works. And, you know, I'm sure you will have experienced games for learning that don't work that well. And I certainly have from uh, kind of my kids' school and so on. there, There are games that are not what i would call uh, effective um or
0: games sometimes
5: yeah they're either not games they're either not fun or they're not learning and and uh, you know it, things are getting better slowly in this field but there is a, a, a real lack of knowledge in that uh, there's a lack of intermeshing between the pedagogic skill that teachers have and the game design skill um, and it results in sometimes these games not working very well so i like to sit at that intersection and, and talk about um, serious game mechanics and share that knowledge with novices, teachers who've never designed a game before. So I've, I've produced lots of workflows that are suitable for game-based learning novices to hopefully kind of elevate the quality you're in gonna, the wider field. You're going to have I, to show I, us
0: where we can find this. Yeah, I'm going to remind me to ask you at the end where we can find this. I, yeah, fantastic.
5: I've got a website and everything is free, so you can just have all this stuff. So all,
0: all of this at the end of the episode. Oh, okay, listeners like you know this is this is like you know this is a thing because this way the listeners will be listening all the way to the end if we had advertisers they get all the adverts you know between now and then uh, maybe we'll never get advertisers this is a this is a loss leading enterprise <laughs> yeah. so thinking back to galaxy truckers then was it galaxy truckers galaxy space truckers
5: uh, galaxy trucker i think galaxy truckers or oh, truckers can't remember
0: Thinking back to galaxy truckers and the aspects of that that draw you towards it do you see any of them reflected in your practice? And actually, you've already described in some respects how it has.
5: Yeah, so I like games where it's just as much fun to fail as it is to win. Like, I, I like, I try and win. I'm, people call me competitive because I definitely try and win any game I play because the pleasure is in the process of striving. But I love hilarious failure I just love it. I don't know why, but I love it as a game mechanic and I think it's highly that was what that was the aspect of Galaxy Trucker that I looked at it and 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 kind of saw a correlation between the fear of failure in master students particularly in postgraduates um and how can you kind of lighten up a bit? How can you 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 look at this idea of of resilience in learning through the learning activities that you do you will you will be able to be resilient when your computer dies on you because you've made that backup. you'll be able to be resilient when your supervisor leaves for another job because you've done certain activities in your research process so the game is designed that students don't quite fail their research degree. Horrible things happen to them and that the fridge that their samples are being kept in uh, goes on the blink and everything dies and they lose all their data. So so awful things happen to them. And the idea is that it's emotionally effective. So I'm playing with the idea of heightened effect so because something horrible happens to you in the game, it's a more memorable lesson than me going, hey, back up your work, folks. Whereas if a card hits them in the game, and they say you didn't back up, lose four of your data cards. That's more memorable. Right. And I, I just think it's more likely to inspire students to actually do these things. So, yeah, failure as a as an explicit learning tool because it's memorable that's
0: wonderful and i suppose also it's teaching people training people that failure is a thing yeah because i suppose academia famously is kind of bad about talking about failure there's no there's nothing ever goes wrong it's always we learn some lessons and sometimes you know, you know what, actually this was a real pile of mistakes um and you know institutionally academia is not so great at that and then of course you know assessment itself tends to be quite binary You're, you're passing or you're failing. You know, you're passing, you're passing really well, you're passing really, really well, or you fail. Um, and failing is bad as opposed to failing um, outside of, you know, formative assessment being a an, an opportunity for growth.
5: Yeah, and it's one of the the things I use the game to talk about. It's a highly facilitated game, you know, so a lot of discussion happens above the game surface. I mean, it's meant to be... You'd never let students play it by themselves. It's meant to be run with a a tutor who explains things and contextualises things. And one of the things I talk about is the difference between internal risks things that are up to you, you know, like get out of bed and go to that lecture (laughs) uh, and things that aren't up to you. And there are several cards in the game, like the fridge going on the blink or one of them is a fire and I'm from the Glasgow School of Art. So this actually happened to us, you know, our building burnt down. Um, So I talked to the students about sometimes... shit just happens. I don't know if you're allowed swearing on your podcast but oh, you've got it now. We
0: bloody are. And that's
5: how I describe it to them. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes it's just not your fault and no amount of planning can prevent, you know, and the card has no mitigation. Most of the event cards have a mitigation like have you got the the meetings with supervisor card. Okay, well in that case this doesn't happen but some of the cards don't have any mitigation and it's shit just happens and you have to just hope that you're resilient enough to bounce back to submit something.
0: This is one of my new favourite aspects of teaching resilience, I think. I think shit happens is a a seriously undertaught part of uh, resilience. I absolutely love that. No, that's not me. That's happening elsewhere. I think that's pandemics
5: happening happen. I mean, we all know this now, right? You know, shit happens because pandemics happen, and, uh, and it's yeah. something that none of us predicted. So, yeah,
0: we'll all forget it again soon, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, thinking just you know what we've been talking about so far, do you have a single top tip that you might give to fellow educators based on your own practice and some of those reflections on games?
5: Yes, it's very tempting to have a game idea and then to develop that game idea. So what you need to do, if you've got an, a game idea and you want to develop that game idea, don't throw it away, but put it to one side. And you always, always start with the, the problem that you want to solve and the change that you want your game to make. So I'm, I'm drawing a little bit here on triadic game design, which has three aspects. The reality, which is what subject are you trying to teach? You know, what, what problem is it that you're seeing that, that you need to fix? Um, and then meaning, which is how how is your activity, how is your game going to address that problem? So what's the change you want to happen? And then game design comes last. And of course, it's not a linear process, but if you've got an idea for game design, you need to park it. And you need to be driven by the pedagogy and that's how you make a game that works. And most people either don't know that or get too excited about their game idea um, so that they don't, they're not truly driven by the pedagogy. So you need to be willing to, to throw it away or at least put it to one side until you've validated it using this process if you've already had the idea.
0: I absolutely love this. And interestingly, so I do a lot of, um, uh, in my own role, this is going to get cut out because this is just a conversation now. Um, but in my own role, uh, I, te- I, I introduce teams to tools, like uh, digital tools that are available to help enhance their teaching and activities. And the big thing I'm always having to push is activity first and then find the tool that helps with that as opposed to the other way around. Because they get a tool that they're like this looks fun and exciting i'm going to yeah. create an activity around this and then inevitably yeah. students don't gel with it because it's not a coherent part of the overall yeah. kind of activity narrative as it technological
5: were. determinism isn't it and Ooh, the, that's a good it, phrase yeah that's what it means it, it, it well I think that's what it means um,
0: it does now yeah. it's on the internet soon
5: um but yeah I, I gave a talk earlier this year at a conference and my last slide said no gimmicks You only use a tool when it is the best tool for that job. You don't use it because it's cool.
0: And I really wouldn't because Daisy looked really intense when she said that.
5: No gimmick. (laughs) Send them to me.
0: That's fabulous. Daisy, thank you so much for sharing the games that you love uh, and talking about your fantastic game practice and the games that you've made. Where can people find uh, you online and the resources that you've made?
5: Well, I've got a pretty Googleable name. It's Daisy Abbott, two B's, two T's. Um, But you can find, I do have a blog. It's very new. I can't actually remember the name of it because I set it up two weeks ago. I think it's called... um, I think it's called game-based learning in he.wordpress.com. Um But yeah, check the show notes, I check, guess. Check
0: the show notes, because Daisy's definitely gonna email me that link. <laughs> yes to our blog.
5: Thank you very much. This no, thank, is fun. I'm
0: glad, I'm glad. So this is Mike, uh pedagogue podcast, the Playful Learning Conference, signing off. Bye-bye now.
5: Oh what, you want me to say goodbye as well? Yes, please. Okay. And this is Daisy. Extraordinaire interviewee (laughs) Also signing off And hating the sound of my own voice. Oh,
0: that's wonderful I mean, I was just hoping for a bye-bye That was ten times more That was amazing So what else happened in day one? Well, with recordings under my belt And uh, lunch hastily thrown down my crawl It was uh, off to the first of many parallel sessions I started with uh, Beatrice Acevedo's And uh, Andrew Middleton's fabulous session uh, On playing the exquisite corpse game And they've adapted the game into a conversational framework that they use as a pre work warm up podcast. The framework itself is really simple, uh, playful, and a very effective way to explore topics. It's a sort of democratic, baton passing way. Um, What it does is it asks the group to start by creating a head, so an initial preposition, then add a body, so expand the preposition, then draw arms, so you take the preposition in different directions divergent directions and see where it goes it might have two arms might have twelve arms thirty arms and then finally you attempt to draw the legs so you go does it have legs based on this discussion does the preposition have merit and if so do we need to do anything about it what do we do about it just as a framework I found it really fun and democratic and accessible and um, and yeah, just that uh, we, we played it in the session. It was, it was really, really interesting. It was a good way to take an absurd idea um, and then actually have kind of a, a serious action-focused discussion around it. And it's definitely something I might actually try and use myself uh, the next time I'm discussing particularly thorny design challenges uh, with one of my module teams. After that, it was over to Claire Timmins' session on making anatomy fun and interesting, uh, where she demonstrated the, uh, the range of methods that she'd used to engage students around the subject of anatomy in speech production. Uh, which included some lovely crafts and Minecraft education. Uh, We were given a range of paper cut and craft handouts to build our own uh, anatomical models of uh, speech-related bits of anatomy. Uh, Some people had bits of brain and and larynx, and I had uh, a cardboard skull, uh, which was good fun and very fiddly. And while we were sort of snipping and folding and sellotaping away, Claire talked us through some of the biological bits and bobs and I know now, for example, that the lower jaw is called the mandible and sort of roughly how it's attached to uh, to the skull. Um, and this was then sort of followed by a whistle stop introduction to Minecraft education, where Claire had just fabulously had her students building three D replicas of skulls. She showed us some of those, and there was a cool sign based commenting system in it. Just yeah, looked like a great laugh. But yeah, learning what a mandible is was a result, but so was. all the reflection that crafting and building activities can be used for teaching in a couple of respects. So, first is that they provide a good context to discuss the object of the crafting, so in this case anatomy, but the second was that it's sometimes easier to engage your eyes and ears and mind in a subject of your hands uh, a busy snipping a skull out of a sheet of paper. And after that it was time for a bit more podcasting, chatting with the, the fab conference folk and then mad evening of editing and trying to persuade my laptop to work and then Yes, to bed. Long old day, that one. Day two started with Jane Secker and Chris Morrison's amazing multimodal cabaret keynote. A really high-energy, highly playful whistle-stop tour through their madcap approaches to teaching copyright and education. I mean, we were treated to live music. There was a really fierce planking competition, uh, some brilliant little skits. Um, And four incredible uh, lightspeed costume changes, um, while being introduced to the podcasts, conferences, card games, advice, resources, all of that that Jane and Chris used to make learning about copyright engaging and accessible. Uh, The Copyright Waffle, which is their podcast theme tune in particular, ended up being quite the earworm, uh, and I keep on finding myself humming it around the house. Building on the themes of the first day, I was really struck by the freedom with which Jane and Chris had approached the project. And how much of themselves they put into it. I mean, they bring their musical, comic, and game design skills together with a subject that they're clearly deeply interested in, and communicate that passion in a way that really want, makes you want to want to know more. Here they are, joining me and my freshly arrived co-host Mark. Shortly after the keynote,
6: I just oh. go all Eliza Doolittle on you. <laughs>
0: Should we all do a posh podcast for Posh Voice?
7: Can we all do a posh Well, hello. Oh, that well, hello. Do that,
6: yes. then. Let's hello.
0: In fact, like I
7: don't know how long I can keep this up. Then. No. <laughs> I don't know.
6: I think I might have to dispense with posh voice fairly yeah. soon. I, we,
8: okay. I, well, we should probably just try and do things normally. Yeah. You're still okay. putting on the posh voice. I'm just, talk- I'm just hearing my voice. It's the I'm posh. I'm hearing my
7: voice through the headphones. It's just yeah. making BBC. me BBC. We call yes. it the BBC. BBC. There's Am I? Am I? Oh, okay. Right. I'm just being manipulated by Michael, yeah. I really wish I hadn't hit record 36 seconds ago. It's, uh, <laughs> it's presumptive. Um, it's always a mistake. Okay, uh, let's, Mistake, let's, sorry. Let's do a sound effect. I'll try again, and keep know. the black country down a bit.
0: Oh, no, that was... I was... Oh, there we go. Um, so, I'm going to fade let's... that in and out, didn't I? Um, hello, and <laughs> welcome to Pedagogzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the Pop Culture Corps. Coming at you live... Coming at you live, they wouldn't have said that, would you? Coming at you live, coming at you large. <laughs> coming
6: at you. Coming at you from
0: the Playful Learning Conference 2022, we're coming at you multiple times, apparently, from our quiet little uh, corner at the back of the conference. I'm Mike, your host, uh, Imposter Syndrome Incarnate, a uh, man with a whole sack of microphones, and joining me, we have...
7: I'm Mark Childs. Uh, I'm from the University of Durham, where I'm a senior learning designer. And I'm Chris Morrison, I... I currently work at the Bodleian
8: Libraries, um, where I'm the Copyright and Licensing Specialist. But for the purposes of today's conversation, I am part of the Copyright Literacy Double Act with my esteemed colleague.
6: Hello. Yes, I'm Jane Secker. I am a Senior Lecturer in Educational Development at City University. And yes, just delivered a keynote this lunchtime with Chris on uh, our approach to or playful approaches to copyright.
0: And what a keynote! So <laughs> uh, I don't want to. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm assuming this sh- uh, show is going on tour at uh, theatres around. So do keep an eye out on your your, your local performance spaces. But just... this this
6: was the opening act. You know, the opening.
0: It, and event. it was incredible. So we yeah. had, I, was, I kept a little tally. So we had improv, we had, you know, talk about podcasts, we had skits, uh, we had lots of humor, a lot of, I've written energy and effervescence as two different things because mm-hmm. there was a lot of just fizziness. It was fantastically fizzy. Mm. Uh, there was a little bit of competition. There was mm-hmm. essentially cabaret, there was music, mm-hmm. it was uh, there was dress up cosplay. It was a real, and somehow all of this fits within about 45 minutes. We packed it in, didn't we? We managed to get there. Everything but the kitchen sink. Yes, indeed. Yeah,
6: yeah. We had quite a a huge amount of luggage we brought with us, I have to say.
8: (laughs) All the costume changes. Absolutely. Absolutely everything. And I I just, sometimes I feel under pressure to pack light. I don't like to pack light. I just like to bring everything. And I think the same applies to our approach to this particular...
6: We've had two years to plan it. So we had put a lot of thought into what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. We had to cut some stuff out, obviously, when we realised that we had packed way too much in. Yeah. But we were we were yeah. we were quite keen to do the kind of three acts, the three performances, weren't we? Yeah. And then we realised it was four costume changes.
8: Well we thought if there's one place we can try out all the silly ideas that we've had, it would be this conference. Mm-hmm. It would be playful learning. And if we couldn't do it here, we were never going to do it. So let's just go all in.
6: We're big Star Wars nerds. So, um, really? Uh, oh, I, I, you wouldn't have guessed it, not come across didn't show, at all. No, 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 no. And, yeah, I've had a Princess Leia wig for some time, but I'm we had a jealous. little... I've yeah, been jealous. Of and yeah, and we had, we had a bit of a um, supply issue with the costumes. So actually a couple of days before we came to the conference, I was um, whizzing up those costumes on my sewing machine. So, yeah.
0: They were super as well. Yeah.
6: They weren't bad, uh, were they? Yeah,
7: I had to buy my um, Jedi outfit off eBay, and it was well—it's over a hundred pounds. So you said yeah. you've saved yourself a bit of money there.
6: Yeah, we're nothing if not economical.
7: Yes, am I the only person who doesn't own a? Star Wars, Star Wars outfit. Yeah, around this table, it looks like yeah. you are. Yeah. See,
0: I've, I've, Do you want to get your coat? Well, I'll be honest with you. So far, this, I feel attacked. So far, this conference, I've been the only person at the table without a doctor. I've been the only person at the table who's not, you know, leading some world-leading institution. Of, and now I've got, not got... This, this is the one I feel <laughs> worst about, is not having a Star Wars costume. <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked about what happened in the keynote, but not what the keynote itself was actually about. So this was Permission to Play with Copyright. So, for uh, the folks at home who, who weren't there, what was kind of you know what were the you say the key takeaways? What were the key points of permission to play with copyright?
8: Well, we're both massive copyright nerds. Um, I mean, we've we've both got um, different backgrounds, but mm. they led us towards wanting to help people get their heads around copyright and not mm. be so worried about it or bored by it mm. um, and my background is in music jane's is in research mm. and education um, and we kind of came together because we both were working in the library world uh, but the, the the key thing we were trying to get across here is because we've cr- cr- taken playful approaches to copyright we've created games and we've got our own podcast and we've got our webinar series and we like to muck about but there's actually a point to doing that and there's it's a serious business. That was one of the things we were talking about. Really. Mm. It's serious because it's the law and there are consequences. It's business because there's a lot of money in the creative industries. But there are lots of communities who really need to be able to work with copyright creatively and not get so tensed up by worrying about the consequences of what's going to happen to them or the institutions they work for, or the communities that they they work within, that we, we want to show different ways of thinking about it. And it loosens people up to be trying some of the things that we've tried. Not everything that we've, we've ever tried works, but we thought we'd just throw everything into it to say, right, this is how we approach it.
6: And And we did actually, I mean, it came, our interest obviously... We were both interested in it for a variety of reasons. I was originally a librarian and I was interested in copyright because I saw it as something that was a barrier to getting access to information. And that for me was why I immediately thought, I need to understand this. I, every time someone's saying, I can't, oh, you can't do that because of copyright, I would want to sort of say, Really? Really? You know, is, it, is that true? Is that, let's like try and understand that a bit more. Or is that a perception? And also like in the early days when I was trying to talk to people about copyright one of the things I realized was they just didn't want to engage they just didn't want to talk about it at all which meant that it kind of it was it was like it became almost like a bigger barrier than it really was because it's just like oh, I just you know, let's just kind of forget it. Let's just sort of you know put that out of our mind, or it's too complicated, it's confusing, it doesn't make sense. Well, it's
0: sort of become the bogeyman, hasn't it? Copyright is very much a bogeyman, to yeah. fall out of the hat, and also a stick to beat, beat people with. Absolutely,
6: yeah, yeah, and and so those kinds of. Kind of awkward conversations where people just wanted to run away and just not think about it, and and sort of say, well, it's not, you know, I'm I'm an academic, I've got to just teach, and I've just got to get on with it. It's kind of a bit like, but if you don't address copyright, you know, you're you're kind of potentially causing yourself all sorts of unnecessary problems, and that's where, you know, for me, it relates to the the kind of open access, open education debate. That that's a lot of academics where they will just. They, oh, I don't think about copyright, I just need to get this book out or this article, sign away things, and then say, well, what, what do you mean I can't use this in my teaching? It's mine. Well, no, actually, did you not read what you were signing when you agreed to publish in that journal? Or So you get into conversations again about, you know, well, well what do you actually want to do here? What are you trying to achieve?
0: Mark and I are very lucky to have met you. I think uh, <laughs> you, uh, this, is, this is like some sort of future soothsaying. For, oh, what? Do you think,
7: though, actually we might, we might run into these issues at some point? In the I'm thinking
0: future, with the book. Right. We'll definitely run
7: into these issues at
3: some mm. point
0: with the book. Oh, in what way? Well, I don't know a single thing. I, I I probably Somebody gave me a piece of paper and said to sign it. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Here's my app.
7: Oh, we just uh, – yeah, but we'll just do it as OER and we'll correct comments. This is why we need to stuff. speak to people. Oh, okay. yeah, it
3: is.
6: Yeah. But it is about finding the right model. So we, yeah. we you know – We wanted to do... So we've got a book, Copyright and E-Learning. We're looking to do the third edition just before the pandemic broke out. And we obviously sort of slightly put that on to one side while we were quite busy doing webinars and doing all sorts of other things. But every time we go back to it, the problem we get into is saying, yeah, but we want to share our advice openly. And so actually publishing it in a book... Is sold for sort of sixty, seventy pounds because it's a specialist monograph. Is that really what mm. we want to be doing? So we started talking to some publishers and we were like, okay, we'll go down the open, you know, the open book route. And yeah, yeah. So right, yeah. So we're looking at if you could give us about seven or eight thousand pounds.
8: Well, we got we got quotes of more than that. Yeah, Some of do. the publishers they're saying, "Oh, so we don't really do this, but you know, if you give us twenty thousand pounds, then we'll, we'll."
6: And we're kind of a bit like, "Hang a of, on a minute, what? Who's we'll, making we'll,
0: money in this?" <laughs> we're
6: going to write the book, and uh, yeah, but, but, you know, then they're they're saying, "Well, it's, you know, it's it's they're not going to get the income from sales, are they? If they make it available, so you you get kind of stuck in this situation where you just." end up thinking I'm not quite sure what the right thing to do is here and I really understand how copyright works and I can't find you know okay so the other thing is we just literally work on the book and put it up as a some sort of pdf you know and just make it available completely for free but then you don't get the kind of and it's not to say like it's big kudos but you know it's a book, isn't it? You can't stick it on the shelf and yeah. show it
7: off to your mates. No. Yeah.
6: No. And and how do people find out about it? Because it's just a resource on a website mm. then, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not, you know, there is a thing about, it's not just when it's in a book. Like, publishers do know how to get your book to market. They know how to yeah. put it in front of the people then that want to buy it. and.
7: I, I was going to use the 50 Years of Ed Tech model. I don't know how Martin Weller's done that, but it's available for free as a PDF, but you can buy it through buy it as Athabasca, Athabasca University Press. Mm. So I was just going to write it and then ask Martin how he did that, but maybe that's the wrong order. No, no, <laughs>
6: no. I think not
7: Not really. We have, we have
6: talked to lots of different people, mm. haven't we, about how they approach it yeah. um, and looked at lots of these different models. and. I,
8: yeah, absolutely. But I think it is worth saying there is there is a difference between, we're talking here about publishing models, all of yeah. which are based on this concept of copyright ownership, which is really important. We want to get that across to people who are writing things. Uh but in some ways, that's slightly different to the nuts and bolts about how copyright law works and some of the complexities mm. and about using stuff and reusing uh, other people's material, mm. and relying on copyright exceptions and looking at copyright risk. And that's the kind of thing that I deal with on a day to day thing in my job. And I think so sometimes all these kind of worrying things get conflated into to one thing. So we tend to try to, to clarify those different bits and split them out and, and not just see them as a big gaudy knot of stressful stuff um but yeah i I, th- I don't necessarily think you're going about it the wrong way around at all if you if you write something you've got something of value but then mm. thinking really carefully about how you get it out there and what the implications might be you know
0: that's something that all authors creators need to do mm. see so we can take that to the bank and once and um, part of your keynote was about well your whole keynote was talking about the massive range of ways that you are you know, discussing these ideas and that you're exploring them and making them digestible and kind of accessible for people. And mm. we had a, I mean, the, the little improv sketch was just <laughs> it was just fabulous. Um, there were songs as well. There were multiple songs with audience participation and banging and clapping. Yeah, I mean, Chris Chris bore his guitar as he well. Has. Just uh, yeah. just saying, we had um, what was it? We had copyright in record time what was the final time for copyright the the you timed chris for going oh, through the whole copyright in stage. a nutshell yeah yes. a yeah nutshell.
6: yeah copyright in a nutshell to see if you could do it in less than a minute yeah yeah, yeah which is the um how many works, seconds was it well well actually i think i
8: think what it was a little bit of stagecraft there because you actually
6: i couldn't work out how to set the timer on my uh, I, I would
0: never have point. known
6: no 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 so uh, we will
0: never know whether i'd be my, my record so far was, was 58
6: seconds. yeah well luckily
0: yeah. i actually have a little timer on this recorder in front of me okay. so uh, so get
6: him to do copyright in a nutshell again
0: yeah let's okay uh let's see do i have a <laughs> do i have a button which of these two buttons might be appropriate no idea okay so there'll be a some description of sound i can't remember what sound it'll be okay and then uh and then go So
8: copyright is a type of intellectual property right that covers the creative expressions of certain types of things such as literary, artistic, musical, dramatic works, typographical arrangements, sound recordings, film and broadcast. Um, It arises as soon as the creative work is fixed in some kind of tangible form and is sufficiently original and lasts for a set period of time after which it expires and the work passes into the public domain. In the UK, artistic, musical, uh, literary works last for 70 years from after the death of the author. Now, copyright uh, puts restrictions on certain types of activities, which are copying, distributing copies to the public... Uh, playing the performing the work in public, communicating the work to the public by means of electronic transmission, rental or lending adaptation or any of the above with an adaptation. Um, And if you want to do any of those, you need to do so legally. First, you can do that with authorization of the rights holder, which is through a license um, and getting permission. Or you can do it under a statutory exception to copyright, which is defined in the legislation. Um, When doing that, there are no right and wrong answers. So it requires risk.
0: Risk is applied there. Okay, so that's kind of it. That was that was that was like a one minute, one second. That was okay. that was pretty amazing. All right.
3: Good. Okay, He's got That was awesome. I
0: mean, the, the crowd are going wild. No, that's applause. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, oh, they love it. They love it. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, that was that was fantastic
8: that was absolutely brilliant. We don't have the visuals of course. The visuals do come from Copyright the Card Game which <laughs> is available there's an open educational resource from our website copyrightliteracy.org
0: which is another of the sort of the multimodal ways that you're you're um you're sharing these. So I mean absolutely. tell us tell us about the card game.
8: So the card game was the sort of first playful project that we were involved in and it it came shortly after the law changed in the UK in 2014. Copyright
0: law was. Reformed. Oh, copyright law. I was thinking card game law for some reason. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> no,
8: <laughs> no. Card game, yes. The, the overarching <laughs> legislation that determines how people use cards. Ah, the and card games. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sorry. <laughs> um, there were some reforms that allowed education, research uses uh, under exceptions that previously weren't there. And we were commissioned to do some training for librarians. And we didn't just want to stand in front of people we, with a we, bunch we of We staff. were
6: both really clear that we said, no, we need to try and do something different we'd both been thinking about trying to do something different in the way we were teaching in our own institutions and we just said like if we're going to go out and run this whole series of you know workshops the last thing these people are going to want is us turning up and just kind of droning on with a set of powerpoint slides about you know this part of the law has changed and 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 Chris, you were kind of, you You had quite a strong vision from the start of this idea about holding things in your hand, having cards, having some sort of, you know, you, you, we were talking at one point about top trumps. Yeah, we? the
8: thing about trumps is, so there's one aspect of copyright, which is, so you may have these exceptions, which say, for research purposes, as long as it's fair, then you can... Make copies for yourself or accessibility. So, if you have some kind of uh, impairment, visual impairment, or anything that stops you having equal access to anyone else, then a copy can be made, an adaptation can be made to that material without infringing copyright. Now, one of the key things that we had in that law, to get a little bit technical for a moment, is uh, something which is called um, non uh, override by contract. So, if you've got a license, so you're, let's say you're getting your journal article from a database. And in the license contract, it says you can only access it through this um, platform. You must only read it on this browser. Then if you actually need to make an accessible copy in another way, downloading it, putting it into whatever um, uh, software that someone could then get more uh, access to. um, Then of the two, you've got two things that potentially in conflict. You've got what it says in the legislation. Someone can do that. But then the, the license contract says you can't do that. And the copyright owner is not permitting you to do it. In that case, the exception wins over and it trumps the license contract. And that was one of the key things to avoid. You know, we got these changes to the law. It hope, helps us in education. But actually, all the providers have just said, no, I mean, you can't do that because the contract says you can't. Mm. So the trumping of it was like, OK, mm. well, that's kind of like cards. And then we did see a big shout out to Annette Moore, mm. the um, University of Sussex, who'd created a Snakes and Ladders game with copyright. i like, oh, that looks good, Snakes mm. and Ladders. Mm. Um, and clearly she was getting really good feedback from her students she was playing with. It's it like, okay. Um, so it kind of clicked together. It's like a card game.
6: Well, you you said something about a game, and I just went, well, yeah, games-based learning, playful learning, that's that's Because
8: quite... you, you, you you more in this I was, I mean, I've I, I, oh, been, 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 invo- been, been around a while. I've
6: been around a while, yeah. But no, it like... Running um Lilac, which is the big information literacy conference, we'd had like a theme of playful learning at that conference. Oh, for you know quite a number of years, we'd, like people like Andy Walsh have been doing a lot of developing games in libraries. So I just said to Chris, yeah, 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 like, what well, games based learning and you know play, and he's oh right, okay, yeah, that's like a thing, and um, so. We we started kind of coming up with some ideas of this, how this would work. And I think one of the things that we, we were kind of really interested in was avoiding this, you know, death by PowerPoint, lots of information presented. And we were like, well, maybe if we put it onto the cards so that they don't have to be taught it, they, they play with the cards and the information they need is on the cards. And then they can work this out, you know, as a a team as well. That became something that we we sort of started to see that, so you quite frequently, if you run a copyright training session, you get loads of different levels of understanding in the room. So you're always going to get a couple of people that know nothing, and then you're always going to get a couple of people that are just sitting there going, yeah, I know that. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know how that works. And and the last thing, you know, they're annoying because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they're annoying because you could just see them zoning out and and the thing about turning it into a game we felt was, well, let's mix those people up and then they get an opportunity. When they know stuff, they can share that in the group that they're working. So they get their kind of moment on the stage of telling everyone, oh, well, you do understand, you know, that section 32 of the act actually says. And and so it kind of was a really good leveller we found with all these varying bits of knowledge, wasn't it?
8: It was. I mean, the first time I ran it, one of the university lawyers was on one of the teams and um, we got to this moment where I just noticed she was just standing there and just sorting all the cars and just go, right, it's that, 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 and that. And for me, that was a bit, I then realized, actually, this is a fantastic, it was a fantastic resort it was clear right from the word go that people loved it but then actually bringing people together and say right you may have differing levels and actually your job if you know this stuff already is to be working with others so it's a bit like you know you're you're delegating responsibility to teaching to others but it's much more helpful and it changes the whole yes you can be the 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 person at the front who is the expert and has got the the knowledge and can impart it but actually you get so much out of everybody else's experience because it's not just about the what we call black letter law if you're studying law or the legislation it's how that's interpreted and what the terms of art are and, and how things happen in so education we, in libraries we, at, at we,
6: we basically give sense. them scenarios that are yeah. really based on it, it depends who we're teaching so we've got a whole bank of scenarios we wouldn't use the same scenarios with a group of librarians that you would use if you're talking to the you know university lecturers we've done um government librarians we've done sessions for people who work in the nhs um, and so we adapt the scenarios so that they're quite realistic to the types of problems they might have but we actually remembered yesterday that the first time we kind of really turned it into a bit of a game was actually I was I ran Chris had run the first ever copyright the car game. He then gave me a masterclass in how to do it because I'd been out the country and away, and he had international travel. It's been a big part of what you do. Rock and roll lifestyle, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then. Um, i so i was kind of running this session at leicester at the university library but for a whole group of librarians that come from around the region and i worked out quite quickly that they were in teams and it was a bit like a pub quiz so i was like yeah so we're going to allocate points and i just instinctively felt that if we didn't do that then they wouldn't be quite so invested so we sort of Slightly on the fly, I made up a scoring system, which we've used ever since, really, haven't we? We sort of refined it a little bit. But actually, that that kind of immediately brought in this element of competition. So when you've got the lawyer in the team, they're like, right, we're going to win this. You know, they're really... Determined, And we'd say things like, well, you can, you know, we we may give you bonus points if you've got a really good argument for why you're going to do what you're going to do and, you know, which cards you've selected. But they use cards, they select them, they either hold them up or, you know, when we're playing online, then we give them a Google form and they have to select which cards they're choosing. and, And there is kind of a right and wrong. But we also are open to... Hearing from them about why they've chosen what they've chosen, and if they've got a compelling argument for that, then we sort of show, you know, well, no, the law isn't black and white, and there is all this stuff in the middle that's quite grey.
0: I muted myself when I I had to let my hooter earlier Um, (laughs) so where can people find this if they'd like to That's uh, that's
6: on copyrightliteracy.org isn't it? We've got, yeah All
8: of our resources are on the website and blog we run, copyrightliteracy.org There's a resources tab where we've got the card game, we've got our other game, The Publishing Trap, which is a, a board game about academic publishing um, and all of our kind of our papers and
6: copyright waffle podcast yeah, is listed under waffle there podcast, and our t-shirt store
8: t-shirt store so we um, have, the have merch it's fabulous merch. we do as well. have yeah <laughs> do.
6: yeah actually this one is an exclusive one that was oh, really this is it. our parody um sergeant pepper t-shirt that was made uh, for chris's leaving do at the university of kent wasn't it, it? Was. a present for you
8: big shout out to chris jones from yeah. the university of reading who is a A marvel with Photoshop, and a creative (laughs) genius. That picture, it's not widely distributed, because there is a thing around copyright risk. I was going to say. (laughs) We're not planning to
6: sell this one. That
8: comes with a reading list, an entire reading list. Everything, single image there, comes with a reading, and full credits, because, of course, if you are going to be using material under, for example, the parody exception um, in, in UK copyright law, then you need to ensure it's appropriately attributed um, as well as
7: ensuring that it's fair.
6: <laughs> so he, I think he's going to be presenting about this at our Ice Pops conference oh, in Ice September, Pops. which is... Can you uh, tell us
7: what Ice Pops stands for? Because that's a brilliant acronym.
8: It's the International Copyright Literacy Event with Playful Opportunities for Practitioners and Scholars, um, which is it has an interesting story behind it as well, because actually that wasn't the original name. Oh. So we've run it, we've run it um, two times face-to-face before, and both of those times we've created... An annual, so the Ice Pops annual, as you would get with anything that comes around once a year, with exercises and crosswords
7: and other stuff. Oh, like the, like the Christmas features. annuals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they still do, don't they? I remember yeah. them, a big feature of my childhood. But Yeah, I mean, we should still
6: have a couple with us. We, sh- we have got some still yeah. from 2019. So the yeah. first
8: one, we've got the story of the origins of Ice Pops. Because actually, right. initially...
0: Should we do this story? Yeah. Uh, initially, well, got, initially right? it was yeah. called... You want to hear a story? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, we'll, what I will do is I'll put a 5 minute on this yes. okay. just because we've got another chunk to do. Okay. Yeah,
6: yeah.
0: It was called Popsicle, and it was the Playful Opportunities
8: for Practitioners and Scholars in Information Copyright Literacy event. Something, or something like that, like yeah. That. yeah. Um, That's also a great acronym. It was yeah, great. It was a really
6: good acronym, and then And yeah. you,
8: then you said...
6: Well, I discovered it was a registered trademark. And, oh,
7: that's awkward.
6: Yeah. And,
0: but appropriate.
6: I, and I, I was like kind that. of going, well, it's a registered trademark for, um, I think it's like to Unilever for selling like a, 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 an ice lolly, a type yeah. of ice lolly. But we had this, like, we'd made a logo by this point. We got a designer to make us a logo of a really cool, like, ice lolly with popsicle around it. And we was just like hmm like so we 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 spoke to one of our good friends who was like a copyright um academic to just say what would you do and like do you do you think we're we we you know because we're not trying to sell ice lollies we're running a conference and he was just like well you know it okay it might give you loads of extra kind of publicity and kudos if you got banned from using that name, <laughs> But it's probably a little bit of a risk you don't want to take. So if you could come up with another name. By the
8: time I got back home, we'd come up with You'd another name. You'd come up
6: with another name. <laughs> yeah, I was. I'd called you, hadn't I? I was actually on a train going back to South London and in the space of a sort of 30-minute train journey, I'd run Chris going, ah, we've got a problem because we were literally about to launch the website the next day. He'd come up with a new name.
7: Can I just check that you've checked whether or not ice pops is trademarked?
6: We did check. Yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. No, I, we did. I was yeah.
7: going to wind you up that it was, but it's not.
6: <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't found
7: anything called ice pops. I found ice pops as a generic word, but not actually trademarked. No. So yeah, yeah. No, right. no,
6: no, no, no. Damn.
7: Okay, you checked. <laughs> yeah, we did.
6: We did. We did check. We did yeah. our
7: due diligence.
6: Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. Anyway, so we we had a we came up with a new name and uh, yeah.
8: It's a lot of fun. It is. Sold out. Yeah, so, sold out this
6: year. Yeah, yeah. we have not
8: Yeah, the, the University of Oxford. It, we're
6: making it smaller, though. Museum
8: oh. of Natural History is where it's taking place. Oh, what? Well, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. With a focus on cultural heritage. Oh, my. Um, so
0: it's brilliant.
6: Mm. It's going to be good, yeah. yeah. Thing? But yeah. you
0: can't go because it's sold out. Exactly. You can stand <laughs> on the outside looking in tearfully. While yeah. Well, there may be. The, if any of the tickets
8: get returned, there may be some available on yes. the event Eventbrite. Program. We'll let
6: people come to our social event in the evening if they want as well. So that will be where the musical performances take place.
0: Oh, are we going? Well, I was going to say so we can segue. We can segue to one of I them. Mean. So, yeah, uh, one of the highlights of the uh, the keynote was uh, some fantastical musical performances. All original works. All 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 original works. Um, and Chris, uh, Chris has got his guitar with him. He has. So Chris yeah. Can you give us a, a cheeky rendition of uh, one of your favourite okay. copyright numbers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Let's writes
6: the theme tune, sings the theme tune. <laughs>
0: i thought
8: i would do the old theme tune because i think we have mentioned our podcast um and uh, we have a theme tune to our podcast copyright waffle so i thought i'd just do that it's not long and then maybe we could do one other um so the, the most recent podcast conversation we've had is with oh i'll come on to that later so we'll just let's start off with that
9: yeah not legal advice but it will have to suffice because it's copyright waffle copyright waffle copyright waffle all right
0: there we go. belting absolutely <laughs> belting you. lovely i wish you i wish you could see this you know audio i got so you had some you had some tickly songs as well yeah yeah
8: so should we do the uh tell me which one we're going to do Okay, well, let's. So, this is a song that we wrote for one of our podcast guests, um, who is Professor Asun um, Estefe at the University of Barcelona, who spoke to us about her research. Um, So, we wrote this song to commemorate that conversation, uh, which was a really good one, And it is in a kind of uh, Latin style. Um, lucky enough to get Enrique Iglesias actually to to perform this for us but there we go Um, I'll just have to make do with you have to make do with me
9: She was a professor who came to England on a visit from the Barcelona shore following an interest in open access an expert in Spanish civil law She gave a lecture at Queen Maria And she showed us what she found A few days beforehand She came to see us And explained how we may find some common ground De still at to the problem she was sure to open access, access to what be your door. Negotiations better than a change in law. Check the podcast and the lecture to learn more. Uh, do you
7: have a clap button on there? Oh,
0: yeah, I do. <laughs> no, that's the wrong one. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, a crowd went wild. Thank you very much. That was that that was, just, that was, awesome. that was excellent. That, that's weirdly that's a core memory now. I think, I think this we, just we, this we, whole do. arrangement. Uh, thanks so much. That was genuinely fabulous. So your keynote is you've done it. Yeah. We've you've done, done it. your keynote. How do you feel with your keynote done? Good. Good. I, I, I think yeah. there's, like we
6: can relax now. Yeah, a little. We bit. can actually. I mean, we were we've been enjoying the conference loads. Anyway, I did my first escape room. Uh, I've Mm. kind of actively avoided escape rooms because there's like all these, you know, puzzles and locks and things Mm. that require...
7: Thinking. Yeah. and and, Sort of a kind of slant, yeah.
6: Yeah. But actually, I've been having a fantastic time. I just love the whole vibe going on at the conference. But now I feel like I'm really ready to just properly be able to relax. Like sink in
0: and and relax and enjoy yourself in it. Yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
8: We can let our hair down. Yeah, um, we do a bit, of, that, bit
6: we, of, bit of singing later.
8: We maybe, yeah, and the sun's come out. So, yeah, you know,
6: might even put the Star Wars costumes back on. Maybe, who knows? We could just arrive, couldn't we, on a red carpet yeah. in the costumes? Like yeah, the king. I think we've had, had our moment now. I think we need, need to, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's. Uh, this feels like the sort of place where, to be honest, maybe we'd bat an eyelid if you were both just walk around in no. Star Wars costumes. No, maybe we should do that next year. Yeah, talk about a theme, or maybe just do it. <clears> See, okay. see if, if raises
7: any comment i'll bring my jedi costume and then if anybody else wears theirs i will wear mine but i'm
0: not doing it on my own <laughs> fabulous sounds like we've got a pact yeah. made yeah um, so what's been uh, the highlight of your conference so far other than your own keynote
3: hmm.
6: oh elliot's keynote elliot's yeah, keynote was really interesting really um you know thinking about inclusivity oh, yeah. and play and thinking about um you know what what we can kind of that that kind of discussion about rules as well and you know what rules there are around i mean, I mean we, we, we like thinking about rules don't we yeah
8: and my my job for a while has involved policy and setting things up and structures for decision making and that sort of rigidity you get from being in this kind of role and then we've been thinking very much about well how you question those rules and think mm. about the principles behind them Um, And then uh, I I would agree, Elliot's, and um, we're looking forward to talking to Elliot some more Mm. about that. And we want to make sure that what we're doing is as inclusive as possible. Yeah, Um,
6: because I think that's always been a bit of a concern, isn't it, around?
8: Well, we just do what we do because we like to do it. We like to have fun and we find that people enjoy, seem to enjoy that. But what we want to do is make sure that the most people possible are getting the benefit of it and that we're not just wandering into a situation and not thinking about it and that discussion
6: though about the kind of what you know what people have said about you that you know when they think you're not being professional and things like that and i think like it's really liberating being here at the conference to seeing people from all different fields who also want to be playful you know want to be taken seriously as well that doesn't mean that you know you just want to be a figure of fun does it but you know, being able to kind of poke fun at yourself, I think, is so important. Being able to admit when you don't know stuff, I, I just think, like, as a teacher educator, that is the thing I try to instill in people as well. You know, that that you, you kind of got to be yourself. You know, when you're in front of a class, you have got to let them in a little bit. And, you know, most of my students realise how ridiculous I am within a few hours, at least, of being on a module with me. And well,
7: okay, you can manage to, a few, because I've never lasted beyond a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, it's that conflation between taking things seriously and being serious. Yeah. Oh, and where does that come from? Because there's no reason why those two things should be the same at all. No. And yet, it's some, that somehow other people seem to... Pre- work from that as an operating assumption and it's unfounded completely.
6: Yeah, completely. But it is it's also something I think when you get the older you get, it for me, I found the easier it is to yes. just become
7: Because there's fewer yourself. things you give a fuck about. Yeah.
6: Basically. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, in the early part of my career I had real imposter syndrome. I used to have go and stand in front of professors who just like, Look at me, who are you, small child telling me what to do? And you know, it I just well, which I wasn't, I wasn't ever there, but it made me feel like for a, a while in the early part of my career, I had to be very serious. Mm. I'd go and give a talk in a suit. I've like got all these suits I just got rid of. Yes. like, what on earth was I doing? You know,
9: yeah,
8: but-, but
6: I think it's fair, it's
8: understandable. I mean, in some ways. Getting older and getting more established in your field gives you more of an opportunity I to see. do that because when you're younger and you're you're not sure of yourself, then you are going to try to be more formal. And mm. I think when you're younger, being a bit silly is likely to be seen as a, a, a <laughs> manifestation of not you're being use. serious. And or or I think
6: you're inexperienced. Mm.
8: Yeah, and, and, I think and this I, is not I th- how we do. Things so I think in, in some situations. ways we're able yeah. to be a bit silly Mm. because we've got the backing of what we've previously done but i think what we're trying to do is in our world to to try to break that down a bit because there's there's an awful lot of pomposity out there not just in our world but just generally speaking and it's not helpful uh, Mm. because it is exclusionary i think um if you're forcing people to be unnatural and non-human bit and not being able to use humor and not being able to express how they're feeling about something because and, and, they, they might get it wrong.
6: And also just like it, it, you know, it's not it's not to say that, you know, when you're a teacher that you're an entertainer, you know, we're not trying to turn people into, you know, sort of professional entertainers, but there is something about you know, when the the, the students they do they want to be engaged, don't they? They want to see your passion in a subject when they're listening to you. And that's what I try to say to lecturers as well that you know it it is about you know show letting that show through the, the why are you so super interested in the subjects that you're interested in and how can you then instill that in into the students that you're teaching how can you you know, make them curious about things, and
7: and give them the confidence to be their authentic selves as well. I think it's yeah. a big difference. It's you know what you're just saying about the fact that you you people say you can't do it this way, and you believe them because you're young and you don't know any better. Yeah, and then you get old and you realize actually you were only saying that because you don't know any better. Yeah, and here I am being a different role model for actually not being walking around like you've got something up your ass <laughs> yeah. um, and and
0: why not you know yeah yeah so elliot's keynote a highlight so far
3: yeah
6: what's yeah.
0: the uh what's the thing that you're looking forward to most in the rest of the conference
6: i'm looking forward to back to the future
0: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah well, I'm a big, everybody says this i'm a yeah. big back
6: to
8: the future fan yeah. i remember going to see it in the cinema i was 10 in 1985
6: that, that I, I actually important. I actually made a video um, with my brother. He was, like, quite good at skateboarding. And, like, I, I absolutely would have been a YouTuber if I'd have been younger. I know I would because we had, like, nicked my dad's video camera. We um, sort of set up him doing all this skateboarding around. And then we kind of got the Huey Lewis, you know, Song and managed to kind of work out how to put that over the top of this video we made. Um, and we we just thought it was like the coolest thing we'd ever done. And it was just on a videotape, and we just showed it to our friends. But it was yeah, it was kind of completely inspired by the film, and you know, just being able to create something that was a actually a kind of copy of it.
0: <laughs> and we full circle. We have a
3: little bit, yeah. <laughs>
0: So, uh, just want to talk... I mean, we're podcasters... Oh, I say we're podcasters. That sounds very grand, doesn't it? We're podcasters. We're, we're nerds. Yes, we're podcasters We're uh, podcasters, uh, podcasters. We are uh, too. Yeah, we're, we're, not as, we're not performers like you guys. You, you've just smashed the whole performance <laughs> aspect of things. We are... We're nerds, I guess is the thing. And Mark can't is... Can't sing,
7: can't dance, can act a little. No, no, Hank can't sing. Oh, whatever.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Hank Thank you so much for joining us. It's been genuinely wonderful. Again, massively enjoyed the keynote. It was just... <laughs> it was... It was it was energising. I felt like I, I felt like I wanted to go out and learn copyright law by the end. By the way, we might have a small copyright question afterwards, which we need to do off the record. Okay. But Mark can ask that.
3: Yeah. Um, just yeah. in case,
0: we, you know, the police need to be called. Remember, it's not legal advice.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: it's Not legal advice, but it should be correct. <laughs> While sitting with Jane and Chris, we also recorded a uh, a quick conversation about educational podcasting. Uh, which is going to form part of uh, a piece of research that uh, that Mark and I are doing. Um, We'll be publishing that separately, but yeah, worth a listen. After chatting with Jane and Chris, it was off to Nick Feather's session on narrative approaches to learning, uh, which is a quick introduction to using your classic narrative structures to teach, but using the Twine open source interactive storytelling tool. Um, It's something I've dabbled with myself in the past, um, and I found the storytelling approach itself a really neat framework to hang it off and a kind of choose-your-own-adventure style uh, that works both as a piece of education and a, and a story game. I came uh, away with it with a reminder of four of the components to consider in educational storytelling. It's character, setting, goal and obstacle, with the goals and obstacles in particular being the ideal places to slip in your teaching moments. It's a handy shorthand that I'll look to use the next time I prototype an game. And another reminder that I really must get back into Twine again. It's a, it's a really lovely, neat little system, very easy to use. If you've not tried it, give it a bash. This was followed by a sort of day two review with Nick and Rosie, Coco co chairs and organizers of the Playful Learning Conference. Here we are chatting a bit more about Playful Learning and some of the sessions that we've attended and enjoyed throughout the day. Joining me around this table in a quiet corner of Playful Learning Conference, we have...
7: I'm Mark Childs. Uh, my usual tagline is, I've got a PhD in education, but again, that's not going to be an exceptional thing in this company,
0: I don't think. I mean, it's exceptional to me, but... You know.
7: <laughs> I'm Nick Wynn. I
1: do some co-chairing at Playful Learning.
0: And I'm Rosie Jones,
1: and I also
10: co-chair and uh, do have imposter syndrome too in Playful Learning. <laughs>
0: So uh, yeah, Rosie, as uh, joining us today, uh, as as the other co-chair, the other the other co co co-chair, does does co-chairing like split or is it like a, a triumvirate? How does how does it work?
10: Co uh, co chair is great. I like that. I I, I want to be the co so you... co chair. So I think co co chair sounds
1: like like a clear chair that's a clown.
7: No, to me, it made it i sound like it like more a, now yeah to me it made it sound like it was made of chocolate But yeah i was thinking like yeah. a breakfast cereal yeah oh. chair. i like Cocoa breakfast
10: chairs. a lot as well so uh, that works for me potential
0: yeah. theme for next year just saying playful learning breakfast themed oh nice everyone loves toast it's, it's, it's a it's a, a cereal buffet for me that would be just every, oh. every description
1: well we could be. do breakfast at murder and then we could have a serial
0: killer Oh, oh, wow. It would be fantastic. I have I have a rimshot sound effect, but I don't think I've got it plugged in. What have I got? Oh, hang on, hang on. I've got this.
10: Oh, the crowd are applauding there.
0: They like that one. Yeah, they, oh, they like don't that one. tell
10: Nick that that exists. I've I'm a, just
1: laughing at the word rimshot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll get the rimshot shot on. I've got, I've got a laughter button as well. But, you know, I always feel a bit sad about using the laughter button, using artificial laughter. Anyway, so, um, uh, so Rosie's joining us uh, today. Um, late. Late. I, I didn't want to say late. Yeah. Um, but, but late uh, but yeah Rosie what's your relationship with um, playful learning what's your you know what's your what's your wider practice as well?
10: Oh gosh um, so uh, I am currently the director of student and library services at Teesside University so I don't know how that relates to play at all because it's all very serious but I do try and incorporate play into my leadership on a on a regular basis Um I stumbled across play and it's all Nick's fault really she um she managed to teach me on the PG Cert when I was back at MMU. And um, somehow I was, I think, the most enthusiastic person in the classroom. So she got me involved with a playful project um, called Argosy. We've just had an Argosy reunion uh, at, at uh, Playful Learning. Which,
0: what's what's Argosy?
10: Uh,
3: Sounds like an alternate
10: Greek. reality game for orientation, socialization, and induction. Great name. Oh.
0: Nope. <laughs> crowd applauding. Uh
10: yeah, so I was a, a a very new professional librarian when I walked into a room with really esteemed colleagues. We'd won a load of money off JISC. Uh, uh,
0: esteemed, sorry. I esteemed. esteemed. I just <laughs> esteemed. Could have colleagues. been
10: could have been steamed. Uh, And I thought it would be really professional and we spent an hour working on an acronym and they were very, very rude to start off with. Mm. And then eventually we went with Argosy and I had the best time of my life, totally out of my comfort zone, but I've never wanted to step um, out of that again. I (laughs) kind of like the stretch, but I'm probably not natural in this environment. So I love it. It's a challenge every year at the Playful Learning Conference.
0: So... hmm. What is it about the Playful Learning Conference? You know, what's what are the, the big sort of standout things to you?
10: Oh, um, I think it's that it turns the conference on its head for me. So I go to a, a lot more traditional conferences um, and I have great fun at them, but I, I don't necessarily come away... I, I, it, it makes me more creative. So I don't necessarily come away with other people's ideas. I come away with... Uh, the the potential to grow kind of what I'm thinking and, and bounce those crazy ideas off other like-minded people and then come up eventually with something sensible, maybe, <laughs> but not sensible. It's probably the wrong word, but um, yeah, it's something that we can run with. And and that's it. It's the community. It's, it's that stretch. It's that every year I do something I didn't think you could possibly do at a conference. It, it stretches the boundaries and the rules.
0: Which is just fabulous. I mean, this is uh, this is my first year at Playful Learning, and yeah, the community I'm, or, I'm already gathering are very much the draw. They're bloody brilliant. It's the uh, it's the just the most wonderful concentration of genius lunatics in a single place. <laughs> so I absolutely love it, and everybody um, everybody here so far. So this is day two uh of playful learning we're recording this around about 20 past two in the afternoon so only realistically halfway through the day but it's been a jam-packed day so far gosh darn it uh how's everybody's day two going what have you been doing
10: well, I'll start. Uh, so we've just come away from the keynote with uh, Chris and Jane, and uh, and I had the pleasure of introducing them and then uh, uh, queuing in various bits of music today. Uh, and uh, what a keynote. Um Really energetic. I don't know how they managed to fit everything into that space of time um, or how they managed to make... Well, to be fair, you know, we were all coming up with the terms at the beginning, copyright isn't the most... You know, doesn't scream excitement and actually uh, they just make the topic so engaging and interesting.
0: They really do do that. I think they moved around more in 40 minutes than I do in a day normally. It was it was intimidating. It was amazing.
1: Blanking <laughs> was epic. I did think at a point I heard Chris go, we're never going to be able to go down because of all the adrenaline. And are we actually going to finish this on time? Because two. <laughs> <are> you... <laughs> How long are they going to plank for?
10: I know. They did get competitive, didn't they? They weren't going to give
1: in, even if it meant it derailed that entire And time. I love that when Chris had to give in, he went, I'll let you win. It's like, you're fooling <laughs> no one. <laughs> 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 nicely done, though, sir.
0: <laughs> so, um, what have, on the, the keynote, what have people gone to today? What have we, have you managed to go to? I a did. Session?
1: I went to a session. I went to a <gasps> your session. Your first ever mm. session? It was a session about escape rooms, and we okay. did an escape the room. There was an online version, and then there was a face to face version. And it was good. I like escape rooms.
0: Was this the um the accessible? It was the accessibility room? one. I yeah. wanted to go to that, but I had to go to the pharmacy to buy a COVID test, which came out to be negative. Hooray. Hooray! Uh, I <laughs> wish I should probably have, yeah, I could have opened with that. <laughs> and it was positive. Ha ha! Now you're all around a microphone with me. Um yeah, so yeah, tell us tell me about the uh, the accessible escape room.
1: Yeah, so it well, it was an escape room. It it wasn't about the escape room itself being accessible, it was about it was in the escape room about accessibility. So you had of puzzles around accessibility oh. and thinking through how how we teach in accessible ways. So it was interesting because there's, there's another one that I know the members of people that I work with at Durham are doing, which is about how you create accessible escape rooms that aren't about accessibility but are accessible, which I think is probably on now, so I'm probably missing it. But um, I thought there were two different interesting takes on the same thing. And the best thing and the most crazy egotistical thing about it was they cited me in their presentation oh. <laughs> it just made me super happy <laughs> in a really silly fangirly way about myself <laughs> well congratulations
0: i feel like you should get like points or something when you get cited although you know oh yeah leads into gamification territory isn't it and that's contested
7: yeah, it's got its place, but yeah, uh, we won't get into that either. I like points. There's, <laughs> yeah, points mean prizes. <laughs> and they, actually, there isn't anything on gamification at the entire thing, really. So it just goes to show how that maybe people aren't seeing that as been a playful thing.
0: Games-based so, learning, right? lots of stuff. Yeah, or things that are sort of indirectly connected to games-based learning. Nothing on gamification yet. So yeah,
7: no. Although there was a gamification kind of mechanic around the last in-person one, wasn't there, where we were all scoring points and mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So and we had teams. A bit like competitiveness, is um,
1: mm. yeah. Although the, the biggest piece of feedback we got from the last one was it was too competitive. Yeah, yeah. so that's
10: why we took it out actually, because mm. we wanted, I, I suppose, and I think it was too competitive with um, our usual delegates as well. So almost we were creating silos. I think with new delegates. Um, so I think removing it allows, I don't know, makes the probably the conference a bit more accessible to first time people too because it can become a little bit cliquey if we if we
1: let
0: it <laughs> yes
1: but that said I think there's something around different delegates engaging in different ways because you were talking the other day about that piece of work that you did a conference that ages ago which is really I found really interesting it, it, which was <laughs> <laughs>
3: Out of your
7: portfolio. That's kind of like implying there's only one thing you did that was interesting and you'd know what it was.
3: I <laughs> do. <laughs> it's the
0: thing with the hula hoop. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the response is like, the, which one? As in like this massive, like my Rolodex of sightable wonder.
1: It was the one you were talking about at the conference where people had some people, and there was a thing that everybody engaged with in the conference dinner and then there was something only 10 people engaged with. Was that me? It was you. <laughs> you were doing it last night over a beer. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been really... Good.
10: But I can't remember which conference that was. Uh, Okay. I'm I'm sure it was you. It was someone else. (laughs) Is is this the same me? Is it somebody with glasses in my colour hair? Because
1: you're really guilty of thinking that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm face blind, see? So I have real trouble recognising anybody. And I once, once couldn't recognise Rosie for somebody else who... It was about 20 years my senior. But women with glasses
7: the way you called me out for not recognizing rosie when i ended up working with her at the open university I and never you had said oh that oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you came up with a photograph of us 5 years earlier 8 years earlier on your phone and saying remember this seminar that you were at for 3 days and you still didn't recognize her when you'd been working with her
10: maybe it's me that term, maybe it's got, my
7: face you have a very generic face <laughs>
0: Wow. That's, <laughs> that's right. You can pick up Mark's <laughs> extensive collection of <laughs> pickup lines. And, the, and I had to the, drop myself in it the, with the link. Employers. They
1: yeah. love you, have a very generic face. Fancy a beer. Mark's final, Mark's final play for learning conference in <laughs> the end of his academic career.
0: <laughs> uh, no, that's. <laughs> <laughs> <Hang on. laughs> Oh, that's Mark. There you go. Uh, that's there you go. You, me
7: walking out the door. Yeah, yeah, that's that's your that's
0: your new theme tune, Mark. Me it, Rosie. <laughs> so, what was this paper? Have we did we did we work out what this thing was in the end, or no. did, does it even exist?
1: I'm sure it was you. You were talking about how, and it might have been. It was either. I'm sure you did a lilac conference, or and you said you used lots of different types of play, and different people got into it in different ways. Or maybe it was an alt conference actually, because you talked about hats. And you said that there was a hat activity that everybody did. This was all last night? No, it was Katie. (laughs) (laughs) You at all. (laughs) Katie's really interesting. You should Mm. interview her.
2: (laughs) You made me want to cut all of that. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that's a new bar for the shagginess of a dog in a story I, I
3: have
0: <laughs> to What a journey to be on. And for you, listeners, and for you. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, what else, what else people have been to do? I'm going I'm to go in one. I, I went to um, the uh, the memes session earlier, which uh, really tickled me. It was Making Memes, uh, Creating Memes to Develop Conceptual Understanding, a uh, John Parkin's one. Um, it was just a little short 30-minute session, and it was... A really neat little fun self-contained idea it's a really fun session as well it was just basically uh talking through the process he's been through with the students to encourage them to to make memes in order to kind of like you know place quotes and kind of assimilate them um, and share them in a sort of you know fun and accessible way and then how you can you know yourself use that approach and and, and make memes and you know the mechanism he uses to do it which is a website called image flip which funny enough i also use MemeGenerator meme generator.com just google meme generator and you can go there and we had a great time. We spent the last 15 minutes of the session uh, creating memes and adding them to a Padlet board, which I think has been tweeted out. Um, and they were just there was some really good stuff in there, as, as there always is with, uh, with some good memes. Um, some of which contain some of the issues of the day, because it's been a bit of an exciting day. <laughs> <laughs> What's inside, happening? Oh, well, inside the conference walls, oh, it's fun and games. Outside the conference walls, the world is burning um, with hilarity because it's just clownful oh clownful what a, what a, what, a tweet, what a hashtag what a hashtag but yeah i really i i really enjoyed, did you see the the meme session uh, sorry on the flip grid you saw it on the flip grid <laughs> i was in with the per- I really enjoyed it but yeah and i kind of reflected i was like, oh man like, this is this would be a great um ice activity to use in workshops mm. like this would be so good and also weirdly it might be a good way to um engage people over slightly spicy issues because we're a little bit conflict averse sometimes at the open university so, being able to give people kind of maybe an anonymous forum where they can entertainingly perhaps present a viewpoint that might be a little bit controversial um, or perhaps, you know, air a gripe that might uh, rub people up the wrong way but in a slightly amusing way and in a critically, you know, anonymous way where people just bin things, for example, into a Padlet board. In that, you know, that, that might just, uh, you yeah, would definitely require moderation, but I thought it might be a nice way of ice breaking a session if you wanted to do it kind of like, you know, just as a, fun, entertaining activity, but also if you did have specific, niggly, designy, problemy discussion points that you wanted to go, just a nice way of kind of getting people's juices, yeah, juices going with <laughs> them. <from laughs> sluice gates. I was going to say people's sluices, but that seems even way, yeah, that sounds worse than juices, doesn't it? <laughs> sluices Spicy. Spicy. Spicy sluices. sluices. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Oh, yeah, that's oh, that's another one that. for the edit board.
3: <laughs> yeah.
7: Um, how about you, Mark? Okay, I, I didn't see that one because I went to, um, I've had, I, it's, I couldn't remember the name, of it's um, it's Pedagogical Puppetry.
0: I was gutted not to go to that one. Uh,
7: yeah, so um, it wasn't exactly what I expected it to be, but it was it was actually, I thought it was really interesting, this guy called uh, uh, Benjamin Hall, Hall. hang on, oh, I've got the wrong glasses on, Hall, yes, and uh, but Ian Trulove, who's somebody I've worked with on other stuff, uh, Ian couldn't make it, but Ben was talking about... They do a lot of creative. He does creative design courses. Um, this is at three different universities. And his main thing when he started off was the idea that creativity is something you pass on. And he was using the I, the metaphor of a friendship cake. And it's like a sourdough or whatever. You end up with sort of you have a little bit of it and you pass it on to somebody else. And that becomes the core of their bread if they're doing sourdough or their cake if they're doing a friendship cake. And he was using this as creative sort of metaphor But he used the idea of, he talked about this friendship cake as being Herman. And then what emerged throughout the whole thing was that people were, it was kind of the cult of Herman. So it was like, Herman says do this, and I'm doing this because Herman told me to. And what he found was that a lot of people that felt, you know, it's kind of, you feel exposed when you're doing something creative sometimes, particularly if it's the first time, like just making a mark on a bit of paper, can actually, you can look at that and go, that's a bit shoot. Um, So... um, but if you're saying I'm doing this because Herman told me I had to, he was finding that his students really took to it a lot better and they kind of gave them permission to, to be expressive and like take the onus of them doing this. And he was suggesting this as a mechanism for getting over that kind of resistance to play that some people experience.
10: Which is how it worked when we had the toys at Playful Learning. So when we had toy avatars uh, for uh, the delegates coming in, Everybody said that they, well, actually Katie, Katie Beatt said, you know, that the her toy could be much more rebellious and naughty and, mm. and, and do things that she wouldn't have done. Uh, and she could ask questions or, 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 or do it through that kind of character. Uh, and it worked really well for the delegates. I think, yeah. I've seen that happen before.
7: Yeah, because I, I mentioned Nina Conti. I don't know if you've ever seen her talk about her relationship with her puppet. And it was about how, you know, she was anxiety and performance and things like that. And even though her family felt this Tom Conti and all this, and you'd think, oh, you know, theatrical background, but she just wasn't like that at all. And then she found a way to express herself through this puppet. And when you see her on chat shows, she brings the puppet out. And she's completely different when she's got this this toy avatar to talk through. So doing that with, with delegates or whatever he did, but I did say, is there something about this that is entirely because of the metaphor that you're using? And is that the strength of it? And he was going, well, no, but what was the strength of it? Was that it was something they came up with. So if you're saying mm-hmm. coming in and going, cause you know, <laughs> we, we had a, when we went back into the office at DCAD, um, we were about like getting stuff in and, uh, at TK Max, there was this sort of, eight-foot-tall Aubrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors in, like, plaster. That is so teak. And I went to go out and buy it if I could get the budget for it, but it had gone. But I was thinking, if we could have had this as the avatar and we were all doing this because Aubrey told us to feed him, then, you know, maybe that... And he was saying that wouldn't work because you're imposing something on the group and it's actually better if they if something emerges organically from that because otherwise it can feel forced fun kind of thing which never really works but i really like that and if you can see that it does work with the toys and it worked a couple of years ago at three conferences back when we did that so i think that's what's interesting it's kind of more from a bigger perspective is that the playful thing is now evolving a bit into how do we overcome resistance to play as well and i think that's one of the things that we that that one was ben was talking about and we've also seen is that we see not everyone's up for it and how do you and even with the even with Herman and the the, the friendship cake not everybody was into it but there are ways to maybe sort of reduce some of the barriers for the people that aren't aren't really into it i I really
0: like that though because that's the reducing the resistance isn't a Mm -hmm. case of telling people oh this is how to engage with it's reducing barriers and it's recognizing that the ultimate motivator is intrinsic it's the Mm. it's coming it's coming from within a, uh, a desire to engage and to generate but and all you can do, presumably, is to reduce barriers, rather than telling people it's time for playful learning. Go to have fun, <laughs> and nothing puts people
7: have more than being told you're going to have fun because that you know only people. Going, oh, I'm not going to have fun.
0: It's I thing. hate fun. It's the old thing of the Christmas, the work Christmas do. <laughs> work Christmas do with, with with the wrong crowd. With the right crowd, the work Christmas do is just oh, yeah. right, We've got
1: our Christmas do on Wednesday. Are you not coming? Mark looks surprised. You
0: Oh, this oh is where we God. discover Mark wasn't invited. Oh, Mark. To
7: I think I might have been and then I just completely forgot
0: to I, I mean, don't. it is July. I want to say this. What's what's going on in Durham? Uh COVID. Oh yeah, sorry, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> now that you're negative, well, yeah, can not
7: care, do you? <laughs> as far as you know.
1: Well, Mike's I, coming. He was invited. Were you not?
7: <laughs> I, I, I probably just didn't put it in my diary. It's possibly what happened. So I will come to that. Oh, well, Stefan's around as well, so I need to. I'll be hanging out with Stefan.
1: Oh well, you can come to our Christmas do. I'm feeling left <laughs> out.
0: You can come. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> our our podcast the the listeners might be feeling left out as well. So I suppose the they're North all welcome East. as
1: well. Yeah, we, we could just invite anyone. <laughs> If you're in Durham next week, come to our Christmas day? Yeah. Where Where is it? I don't know actually. Durham or the Christmas Day. Durham. Okay. Durham It's somewhere up north. I think. Ar-
0: arrived. Arrived to Durham Well, I guess, just a case of Fosters or something. Well, and to just, be fair, Durham's pretty,
1: pretty small. You'll probably find
0: us. Yeah. This uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> went to a strange place. Um, okay, so uh, we've done a quick whip round of what we've done so far today. What is something that you're looking forward to later on today? And we'll just do a do a whip round.
10: Uh, oh well. I, it's not a session, but I am really looking forward to the evening event tonight. And I, I'm not going to say any more. But um, yes, that is I mean, going
0: to be good. There, there's some information in the program, which I suppose we can probably share with people. So it's we're watching Back to the Future in the evening event in the dining hall, which means Back to the Future and food. Yes, um, but it's not just Back to the Future. It's Back to the Future with audience interaction and props yes. and oh. prop. That's news. That's not in the program. <laughs> That was, that was going to be my thing as well. That's what I'm really looking forward you to. You heard it here first.
1: <gasps> props. And one of the props I made, and I'm inordinately proud of it. I, I, when I say I made it, I asked other people to buy me the bits, and then I did some of the stamping. Is it a hoverboard? It is not a hoverboard.
0: Is it a? I shall I'm not even going to guess.
1: It involves it. stamping. Stamping. Significant amounts of stamping.
7: Mm-hmm. listeners will have to tune in tomorrow to hear about episode yeah. three and find out what happened oh, that's, that's, that's a good plug mark good <laughs> podcasting
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm think always got one ear on the edit mike you yeah. know that it's a really really flat delorean is all i can think of <laughs> just like this delorean's too thick <laughs>
7: how about you mark um i'm looking forward to doing more of these i think we've sort of set aside quite a lot of time this afternoon for sort of um, people popping by and having a chat so that i think really get into that because i missed the day one as well so that'll be good I think that's what I'm looking forward to
0: oh, Fabulous Well uh, this has been um, Mike Hello
7: <laughs> oh, um, And me Mark
1: And me Nick And me Rosie
7: Also known as Katie
1: <laughs> Katie 1.0
0: <laughs> At the Playful Learning Conference uh, Day 2 mini review Electric Boogaloo After some more sessions It was back to our little cosy recording booth where we had some more of our little drop-in game conversations. Like I say, I'll be editing and uh, publishing all of these uh, over the next couple of months. Just going to drop on in here with Luca Marini, who's not just an expert on games, but also has one of the loveliest, calmest voices i ever had the pleasure of listening to. Here's Luca. And for context, Mark and I have goofed around just before we hit record.
11: We are joined by uh, Luca Morini. And um, thanks for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here and to see that you are professionals in this and I'm just kind <laughs> <of> <laughs> improvising. So I will try my best. I I, I am a researcher in uh, in Coventry University. I'm natively from Italy. What's my thing? I've, I've, I did things all over the place because my, my link with, with games and play really is there's a lot about what we can learn. Through play or using playing games. And for me, it's more about what we learn f- from games or from play in the, in the natural order out there. And that was what my thesis is about. It was about seeing what people creating games just for the sake of it learn from doing that. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, you're going to have to tell us about your thesis
0: in a bit. Yes. So, yes. what brings you to Playful Learning?
11: Well, I've been to Playful Learning in 2017, I think. Uh, at the time games and play I was in the despite what I said and we can discuss that I was more in the serious games and gamification space because that's how I got a job you can't get <laughs> an academic job in Italy unless you know someone so here I was and I, I got that uh, but I was pushing in a different direction and this is the playful learning conference I mean I attend other conferences in the general game, games and learning space but this is the Playful learning and it emphasizes that more wild and creative aspect. And I'm, I'm really happy to be back. Uh, playing games are not anymore at the center of what I do in my job, but it's still very important. Again, it's as a guiding light. What what I can learn from that? So, so what is you know what is your job? What is your role? What is your what is your practice? I so in the in the center for global learning, I work in a team which is called Education Without Boundaries. And we do a lot of work about intercultural engagement, intercultural communication. Coming to university is probably one of the, or if not the most diverse institution in the UK. We have lots of uh, foreign students coming in. We have lots of international partnership, and we need to navigate that. There's lots of uh, there's lots of attrition sometimes when you when you meet across different cultures. And I say this as a migrant myself. And uh, among the many things that we do, yeah, I find that play can be, can be very useful to help that. But my, my main job is that is about intercultural engagement, including uh, um, postgraduate students. Mm-hmm. And what is a PhD or what is a master's can be wildly different. People come to the UK and say, oh, I want to do a UK master's, but then it's it's not what they expect and again you have to navigate that and the, the rules and the expectation like Elliot was discussing yesterday i would never even considered that PhDs and masters would be different there'd be different expectations in different it's countries it's really
3: different
7: <laughs> oh okay now, me, me I know that the the sort of viva process is different very different in the a lot in a, in a lot of countries it's a very public process it's actually a public performance
11: and a, you're on a stage and there's an, I did I did the public defense so in T O D, in Italy Everyone can come in the room and say, "Hey, you! What the heck are you saying?" And everyone can, can join in. Aside from your supervisor, mm-hmm. they have oh. to shut up and just because you are on a, you are yeah. on your own. You are the newly. You are defending star, it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That sounds amazing and amazingly stressful simultaneously. Yeah. I saw, I saw, um, I saw um, a thesis viva in Finland, It was about playing games, and uh, they brought in. They started with fake mustache and at the end they bought in hats uh, and a sword and it was in finnish so i had no idea what was going on uh, and then i discovered that actually the the hat and the sword are part of what they give you when you get a phd in finland because Whoa, it's oh it's, to, it's to fight for truth or something like okay.
0: we are we've been working uh, yeah. in the wrong country mark
7: cuz i mean when i did my Viver, it was there's the two external examiners cuz i Normally you have one internal, one external, unless you're doing it at the university and you're an employee at the university. There's the chair. Your supervisor is allowed in, but they have to sit at the back and they're not allowed to say anything. They're just taking notes Mm -hmm. in case you have to do revisions and things. And that's it. You're in there for an hour. They're they're asking you all these questions. You go out for 10 minutes while they talk about it. You come back in. They go, uh, well, you need to do this, this, and this. And then you'll have a doctorate. And then you go home. It's like there's no celebration. There's, there's no, no sword, no hat. No sword. You get a hat eventually. Mm. You get a floppy hat sort of a year later or whatever when you do the ceremony. But but there's an anticlimax. It, it's 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 the most like, anticlimactic moment in my life. Is you finally pass your viva, sort of. You've got minor revisions. And that's it. You just go home and go back to or and, go back. And here's to a floppy
0: hat. I'm sorry. I can't get past this floppy hat thing. Um, no,
11: but, you, you don't. I, we get the the hat. The, no, the not the not floppy hat. Sometimes in Italy, oh, okay. but not always. Uh, in Finland, they get a top hat. Oh, um,
0: they just do it so well.
11: Yeah, oh,
7: top Finland. hat. No, the Tudor Tudor bonnet is technically what it's called here. So, it's, oh, they
0: look so dumb, though. It looks like some a
7: pudding sat it, on your head. It's 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 the Italian. It's this thing yeah, we imported it from so, Italy because so. you know that's where we we got higher education from. We we kind of imported it from
11: the Italians. <laughs> Did we? Yeah. There's this. Uh, if you, if people in Bologna will say this is the oldest university everywhere, we invented the university. That's not the were all the ones in in Asia and the Middle East, in, in Africa, Africa. The, ninth, the first one is everywhere. everywhere. But yeah. Italian
7: people will usually be quite inventing old, it think. for Europe. <laughs> enough of a claim to fame, really. I mean, I think that's kind of impressive, but that's why a lot of the traditions look a bit Italian. So you've got, you know, you imagine all these Renaissance pictures of sort of the. With the, the the guys in the floppy hats, yeah, the yeah. sort of—that's what you wear. Blame de Romans, <laughs> blame Romans. Yeah, bloody Romans! Right, <laughs> oh, what have they ever done for us?
0: us. <laughs> <laughs> so, taking a step um, sideways from the day to day, then of your yes. practice uh, and into games. Yes. Can you please tell me about a game that you're passionate about? And this could be a video game, a board game, a
11: sport, something you play with your family—just
0: a game that you are passionate about.
11: I just, I just recently. Finished. I, I well, I was always a video gamer and Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, the, the whole thing. Uh, and it wasn't that easy in a small Alpine village. It wasn't that that mainstream. But I just finished the the remake of Final Fantasy VII or the, the first part. Of How is it? That. It's great. It's oh, really great. Oh,
0: I want to play so much.
11: But uh, let me let me explain. I I say this because I find it uh, interesting when people say, oh in days nowadays there's so much politics you can't have fun that's a game from 1997 Hmm. you play an eco-terrorist with ptsd
0: Hmm.
11: so and then
0: a a cross-dressing eco-terrorist with ptsd a
11: cross-dressing eco-terrorist with ptsd that goes against a mega corporation that wants to well that is profiting from some metaphysical version of climate change on a spiritual level and uh I think well, it was a very enjoyable game. I loved the the remake because you get to spend a lot of time with, with with the characters, and it's like people that I spent some time of my youth with. It's not they are not real, but they are real in the sense that they they tell about those narratives. It was it was light when you go through, but there are quite heavy themes there. And uh, I think it it did start um, my interest in in ecology in a more political sense, and not necessarily becoming an eco-terrorist. Also, I can't lift a 200 kilograms sword or cast fire spells or someone... Again, yes. So, uh, <laughs> for now, for now, I, I wouldn't be much useful in that kind of direct action. But you could still learn, learn a lot from that. It was quite an overt metaphor, a metaphor that millions of people have played for the one it definitely influenced how i think about um, the medium of play about uh, how do you learn and engage with narratives and about the the politics of uh, our relationship with our environment
0: i think that's so interesting because you've actually you've, you've you've jumped to my next question which was going to be how do you see you know, your, your passion for this game and for games in general, intersecting with your with your practice. And so far you've described, you know, the, the love of the narrative, the love of the people but also it's inspired this, um, you know, a, a a drive for, not eco-terrorism but uh, an <laughs> ecological understanding. Yes, yes. yes.
11: Well, uh, after this, I'm, I'm running my session and uh, it's a lot about how the, the game designer's mindset can allow you to have a, a more active political imagination in terms of how you engage with local context but also with global context because games are inherently about inherently about they are systemic, they have feedback loops, they are about information flows. So there's a lot there that is is hard science, but also they are highly emotional and engaging experiences. So that's 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 how it intersects. I, I wish we could have something like like that uh, and i also wish we could have the relative lack of consequences that we have in there. i i was i was doing the the final special ultimate boss in final fantasy 7 remake i think i attempted at least 40 times good grief I'm just getting destroyed but it's not like uh, In many institutions in the UK here, I understand that you you fail an exam three times and you're done, you're pretty much done. So the stakes are too high. Mm. And uh, that's something else that I wish we we could learn because if the stakes, if the space is safe enough, if the stakes are not too high, then you can do very hard things and not be worried about uh, the immediate consequences. And I think that, well, that is a broader discussion about how society is gamified. You need to have the top, you need to have a first by the top 20-something university and that nets you enough invisible points that will allow you to be interviewed at some companies.
0: There's an in, there's an interesting overlap between a conversation that Mark and I had over a combination
11: of two oh, that off earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I, death to I, exams was the oh, death to I, assessment I completely agree I, I mean I, I think we, we need a lot of formative assessment but well, like games give you a lot of feedback like I, I fail, I fail, I fail, I fail and and good games make it very clear why you have failed and what you could do to do better and of course they are simple they are simple systems and when you're looking into real world disciplines they are more complex but it's it's a kind of an of an ethos. So yes, that to assessment, long live formative assessment. Definitely that to grades. Mm-hmm. You, I know no no compromise. And. Uh, also, that to copyright? Can I say? That? Oh, uh,
0: uh, I mean, as people using a, a sample from original Godzilla, I think
7: yeah, we, 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 definitely need, we need the, 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 we need the copyright experts on to talk. When to. I
11: played when I played Final Fantasy VII, the original one, in I think it was 1999. Oh, that was pirated. I would never have. How how does uh, a kid with, without uh, proper internet connectivity? Uh, get a game in a village at the beginning of the Alps. Well, there's, there's a city, goes around, you burn it, and then you have opened to a new um, ethical space. Uh, so let's put it like that. But yeah, my, 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 my hot take is that I, I understand the need to protect um, the livelihood of people that live through their, their ideas, which includes so I, I really understand that, but it's a bit of ideal landlordism, and I find that very problematic. Protectionism,
0: yeah. We uh, we give it away for free, don't we, Mark?
7: Uh yeah, yeah. Because only because nobody would pay us
0: for it. No, God. <laughs> Based on what we've discussed so far, have you had one top tip for your fellow educators? What would it be?
11: Find ways to cheat for good theres there's uh, there's, uh <laughs> so in english you have you have cheating it covers uh cheating at games cheating on your wife and cheating at at tests in in Italian we have three words so when you when you when you cheat barare, that's the literal translation Barare is only for games if we if we cheat at games it's it's fine sometimes it can even be fun to catch each other. Don't take it too seriously. And that's one thing, but it has its own, um, it's specific. There's a magic circle. Then, if it was my, my wife, that's not cheating. It doesn't make sense. That's betray, tradire. It's a strong ethical um, infraction. When you, cop- when, when you, when you cheat at the test, in Italian we say copiare, to copy. It's just a procedure. I mean, it's very <laughs> ethically neutral. And I'm saying all this because sometimes in our institution, there, there are very hierarchical, there's lots of rules, there are resources. And sometimes in our positions, you can, you can use the buzzword of the month, you can know some of your opportunities, and you, you cheat, you trick the people that make the rules, and you try and redirect some material resources to people that are less empowered to make the rules. And if everyone is more empowered to make the rules, ultimately I would argue that that makes for a better game and that was Bernie De Koven's argument. And I had the privilege to meet him in 2016 and I, I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting because I think that's part of where the
7: conflict between our expectations of our students and their expectations of their education are different is when we talk about cheating in assessments, we see it as a betrayal and they see it as simply gaming the mechanics of the system, and that's possibly where that mismatch is, is we're using the same word, whereas actually if we were talking about using the the two Italian words for that, then we would understand the mismatch.
11: That's how you see that they are game literate. Mm. They grew up in this world of games, uh, both... uh, actual games some games they are forced to play and they are game they know how to win and they know what the stakes are and so they try to who who can blame them really yeah so um, Luca where can people find you online I'm on Twitter at uh, Luca Morini 11 I think Uh, or uh, well you can you can you can google me like Coventry pure Luca Morini L-U-C-A M-O-R-I-N-I my profile will pop out. You can see how I'm completely all over the place with my career because uh, games are the only thing that kind of pull together the, the very different things I do, but they, I'm not too allowed to focus on that. So,
0: <laughs> oh, Thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank um, you.
11: Oh, thanks. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs> between this,
0: stepped into John Parkin's session on creating memes to develop conceptual understanding. Now, I love a good meme. Um, John showed us how he's used the medium to uh, engage his students, uh, develop their visual skills, and sort of generally get them to demonstrate conceptual understanding by refitting it into a, a meme format. Now, memes themselves are, are quite interesting as a, as a format, as a, as a medium. Um, as they often involve a kind of like an underlying meta joke um and sort of an additional layer um of, of user created joke uh added on top of it and uh, has anybody's ever sat down and tried to write an education-based joke before it's it's very hard um sort of it requires you to turn the various components of what it is you're actually trying to say around to get them to fit into a, a joke format um and actually doing that sort of you know makes you challenge your own your own understanding um of, of what it is he trying to make the joke about? I mean, I've, I've had a bash myself before uh, in the past. I've done a few on Twitter, and I found, found it quite rewarding. Um, but the joy of doing it as a meme is that, as a format, it's quite sort of, it's quite small, brief, self contained. It forces a certain amount of uh, a, a focus, um, which in turn I think makes it appealing both as a, as a medium to be consumed, but also as a uh, yeah as as a, as, a, as an activity for students because it's obviously sort of, you know it's impossible to branch out into a shaggy dog story in a in a small 600 pixel jpeg but yeah it's definitely something i'm going to try and do more of in my own practice if not with the teams i work with i think i still need to work out how i can fit it in because i really 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 love a meme but yeah it was a it was a great session and uh, there's a fantastic padlet board which i'll desperately try and remember to link to in the show notes here um of some of the memes that we all produced after that, managed to nab Dr. Penn Holland for a quick recording. Uh, Penn is one of the authors of The Catastrophic Card Game, which was an absolutely brilliant card game. It's uh, sort of an educational card game, which I, I, I won't spoil it for you uh, now, uh, about uh, ecologies and catastrophes, um, which is also, unlike a lot of edgy games, a really good game in its own right. And we actually played, uh, uh, I think that's all the first turn and a half, two turns of it on the first night before uh, yeah, I had to check out uh, and just go for a little lie down, because uh, <laughs> I was suffering a little bit, as, as as you'll hear from the beginning of this. Over to our chat with Penn now, where we start off with our, our little game conversation that we've been kind of gradually setting into throughout the conference, uh, and then a chat about Catastrophic. Hello and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the Pop Culture Corps here live and on location at the Playful Learning Conference in a, I normally say quiet corner, but it's not a quiet corner right now. Everybody's come out for a little coffee break, so you can probably hear a little bit of a tumult in the background. Um, I'm Mike, hello, uh, imposter syndrome incarnate, a man with a bag of microphones and an effervescent drink. Um, basically, Mark and I have just gone, <laughs> Mark and I just did a boy's trip to the pharmacy. To get lots <laughs> of delicious medications because we are collapsing as people um and joining me we have
7: i'm mark um yes so i don't know how you manage. it's that effervescent stuff making you sound effervescent isn't it uh, just before we turn the recording on like, "Oh yeah, so this is happening and then we're doing this and then he goes hello and welcome to better godzilla and go okay this is the this is doctor theater working on michael
0: <laughs> um yeah this it's all right this it's, it's already starting to dip to be perfect <laughs> and we are joined by
12: pen from york uh <laughs> I'm really glad you're editing these. <laughs> uh, I really <laughs> should. That in. Or am really I? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm Penn. I'm from York. I'm in a biology department, but I'm secretly a mathematician. What? I sit on fences wherever I can find them, uh, on the disciplinary boundaries, and I like making
0: games. Which leads us perfectly into our first question of this lovely uh, playful learning format that we're loosely cobbling together and... Uh, ostensibly sticking to a structure fall, which is just falling to bits Let's as we keep go. Keep it going, Mike. Yeah, sorry. Um, so, Ken, can you tell us about a game that you are passionate about? And it could be a board game, video game, um, anything at all.
12: My favourite small game is a game called Red 7. Ah, I don't know if you've played it. I have. It's quite simple. Um, the, the cards have a colour in the rainbow, seven colours, and they have a number from one to seven and um, each colour means a different rule. So when you put a card down in the middle, you can change the rule to say who's winning, and the only rule of the game is that at the end of your turn you have to be winning. So you can either change the rule or you can put down a card or you can do both so that you've got the highest card or the most colourful cards or the most cards under four or whatever it might be. And if you can't evolve quickly enough uh, to be winning,
0: then you're out. Uh. I So I, I have played Red 7, and funnily enough, I, I found it quite complicated. I, my brain couldn't handle it. My, my poor little brain couldn't handle it, but I, which is a shame because I love that kind of game. It's a real kind of icksy-tricksy, I screw you over kind of uh, competitive game. Have you, have you played the mark?
7: No, I haven't. No, no, it sounds good. It sounds, it sounds a bit Exploding kittenzy, as we were talking about last time. Um, uh, even Uno. Uno's got, a, you know, it's like it changes, evolves each time, and it's about putting the card down that messes up the next person. Yeah, so it's that
0: screw you mechanic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so what is it that actually, you know, what are the the, the aspects of it that, you know, you're so passionate about?
12: Um, I like the, I mean, I'm in a biology department and, and I like the way that it's, a, it's about adapting to your changing conditions, um, but you're working with what you've got in your hand already. So it's brutal because you can't pick up any new cards in your hand. You've just got what you've got and you either win or you don't. And so it's, it's kind of harsh, but I, I seem to be drawn to the kind of games that are brutal and try and wipe out your opponents.
0: I mean, I bi- biology itself is, is brutal. So can, can you tell us about your, your practice? You know, what, 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 what's your day to day? What do you do?
12: Um, so I'm a teaching focused academic at York and I teach ecology. Uh, My background, I say say I'm a mathematician, but I went sideways into biology by doing ecological modeling. So I like simulating massive systems or dealing with loads of data. And um, I think that's why I like playing, because, you know, give me a spreadsheet and I will spend happy hours just poking it to see what happens when you draw different pictures and things like that. Um, Biology students... Uh, sometimes are really into maths and modeling and analysis, and sometimes they 're really not, and they want to be in the lab doing something else um, so I developed playful ways to get into the motivation and the engagement with that kind of material. Uh, so uh, we teach ecology with Lego, we have Lego communities that people sample, and they can play much more with the sampling and the data analysis because it's really efficient to stick your hand in a bag full of Lego as opposed to walk across a muddy field in some wellies finding real things and trying to ID them. Um, And um, we've tried to pull together the whole of animal and plant biology by making a card game called Catastrophic, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit more. Um, Again, to get students thinking about how do all these tiny little bits of information that we feed them all year, how does it actually fit together in the big picture?
0: See, you've you've neatly sort of started segueing into the third question as well, which was going to be thinking about those characteristics of Red Seven. Do you see them in your practice at all? Do you see your your passion for you know that, that screw you mechanic and that changing rule set and that brutality? Um, <clears throat> That brutality in your brain yeah, brutality in your practice, I'm, do you see that claw.
12: Well you know my feedback often says i 'm very kind and approachable, which i 'm pleased about because uh, we do do a lot of brutal <laughs> playful <laughs> learning um, and yeah, catastrophic is is a game that we put together for this really big biology module and um, the students who were involved in designing it get all the credit for the amazingness of it, both in terms of the biology content, because I'm not a biologist, and the, the way that it looks, because we had graphic design and games students in on the team as well.
0: I was going to ask, because the art on it is... I mean, the, mm. the design of the cards is beautiful, and the art is just incredible. We cru- we cru-
7: this crops up a lot. Is it's, although, really, it's, it's, it's the extra layer that's superficial... The, the enjoyment of playing a game that we keep on coming across is the aesthetic of it as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that was some a conscious decision to let's actually yeah. get into the aesthetic here.
12: Yeah, so version one of the game, which we put together in 2018, used um, Creative Commons phot- photography. Um, so it looks really cool. Um, the cards are printed by our campus print shop, and shiny is the word that I use for them all mm. the time. They are so shiny. Glossy, glossy. Glossy, glossy. Um, High production values. The following year, we did a revision of it based on feedback from students. And that's when we got a couple of new students um, who were doing interactive media. And they did this most amazing vector art for all of the cards. So it has a really unified look. It's getting away from the problem with the images was that you'd look at a card and say, oh, well, this makes my animal a tiger. Right, and we we're like, well, no, it's it's not a tiger; it just has that kind of stripey camouflage. So, by doing the illustrations, we could get at what the actual trait was, as opposed to here is an example of a, an organism that has that trait. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 they did an amazing job.
7: I mean, Can I just point out that we've actually talked about this game before on the podcast. Have we? Yeah, we're on the games and gamification did we? Yeah, when I was hmm. explaining the difference between endogenous and exogenous. So my, my point was that the reason why your game works is because, well, one of the reasons, obviously it's well designed and the brilliant aesthetics and all that and all the thought that's gone into it, but it's, it's easy in a way because um, evolution is a game mechanic and you're modelling that game mechanic as part of the game. And so it arises naturally from the discipline that you're actually teaching, which makes it, endogenous game whereas as opposed to being bolted onto something else mm. so when i was trying to come up with an example of something where the game mechanic arises from the discipline i chose catastrophic so if we go back attentive listeners will we can go or people that are bothered can go back to that one and think oh so that example yeah that's catastrophic so yeah because I, I, that's how much i'd like to,
0: to well this, this was my reflection actually when and um, so I sat down with pen on the first night so. Sort of we're at the Playful Learning Conference, um, sat down the first night. Um, I think I was 90% pollen and 10% exhaustion at this point. And we set the game up. It looks fantastic. I was getting really into I think we did like one round, turn, and I just went, oh my God, I've got to check out because I actually need to just put my head on <laughs> a pillow for a minute, uh, which is the rudest thing to do. But it's a genuinely good game. And I was like, this is a genuinely good game with a lot of information baked in, which you're using in a very authentic way. Mm. I was like, "This is the perf- This is the epitome of games-based learning." I thought this. I mean, could you can you explain like how you know how the, how does the game work? What's the the kind of the mechanic of the game? How are you communicating within it?
12: So. The aim of Catastrophic is to build a community of plants and animals that is robust to events that happen and bring about changing conditions. And your plants and animals will either survive or not based on the traits that they've got. So, for example, if you've got fur as an animal, you can cope better with cold environments. uh, So when the Ice Age comes along, you've got a better chance of surviving as a species. And so... You build up your species out of trait cards. Uh, they have population tokens on them so that you can have simple species with big populations uh, that might survive stuff simply by having lots of individuals, or you can have really complex species with very few individuals and they'll survive stuff because they're really well adapted for those conditions. We have a number of interaction cards as well, and they're where the game really gets fun. And the idea of those is the um, they're all The game mechanic is all tied into the biology. Uh, So again, we've got a pollination card. So if you put that between a plant and an animal, then it will shore up the community. So it's better able to survive whatever might happen to it.
3: Or
0: between a plant and Michael, in which case you get just a pile (laughs) of sneezing gunge.
12: Exactly. So we're thinking about expansion packs, actually. And I think the, the human eco, you know, ecological community, Uh, expansion pack might be a really interesting one to look at so you know you've got loads of pollinators so you can have high yield so your humans can be happy Um, but at the same time you might have loads of plants that are producing pollen Uh, you know we have a wind pollination card that could be making all the humans sneeze i think that would be a really interesting expansion pack to do Um,
0: sorry i broke your flow.
12: That's all right. That's all right. Um, interaction cards, yes. So, so they're really cool, and, and that's where we get to pull in all the really interesting things that are shoring up the connections between species, but also um, between communities. And so there are some interaction cards that let you collaborate with other people if you want to um, share traits and have mutualistic relationships and shore each other up. What usually happens, which is really interesting, is that um, players just try and take each other out. So they're sending off predators to eat each other's um, animals, or they're sending out herbivores, or they're just slapping down an event on someone and saying, well, you've got a drought.
0: This is the return to the screw you mechanic that mm. uh, you like to had Absolutely. But,
12: you know, Mother Nature is, is brutal sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the best bit about it is that it, it really, it stops and makes people think and you know, the discussions that are happening about biology as people are playing games, I've played it with a lot of people now and I've played it with ecologists who think it's absolutely hilarious because they can finally control their ecosystem and then get wiped out by each other. I've played it with students who are learning about biology. I've played it with non-biologists who like games and, and everybody's there going, oh, oh yeah, yeah, global warming affects all players. Really interesting. Mm. I'm going to play it anyway. Oh, oh, I died. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's a game that makes you think uh, but it's also
0: a game that makes you have fun and a teaching tool. I mean, I I now know that curled leaves make you resistant to the hotness. Didn't quite read that much of the card. I didn't get that far down the card. Mm. I think that was around about the point where the world was swimming. But um, how do curled leaves help you escape the hotness? Not a biologist. Ah, oh.
3: <laughs>
0: if you if you know, then, um, uh, then contact us. Send I- us to um, P.O. Box. I'm guessing.
7: I'm guessing smaller surface area, so less uh, transpiration because there's less evaporation from the surface. Sounds legit. Sounds legit. Lead. Transpiration's a good word, Mark. Oh, so I just throw that in. <laughs> I mean, I haven't done biology since I was 15 or something, so, you know, it could be bullshit. But there we go. I mean, we're, but, I'm, I'm happy to believe It's you.
12: definitely, but, it's to do with if Yeah, the evaporation and, from the yeah. surface,
7: whatever. But I mean, it's... That's what it's yes, it's the detail, it's quite useful, but it was that global picture of how it all fits together that I thought I took away from playing it. I'm going, I mean this is this is how it all works, this interconnectedness and things
0: like that.
12: And that's exactly what we were hoping to achieve with the game, so that's nice to hear.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So where can people find the game?
12: So we just finished a crowdfunder. Uh, Which has raised money and I've got 85 games to send out to various people who play games or to schools. (laughs) Nice side effects. Um, And it's raised a bunch of money to pay for some student time this summer to develop expansion packs. Um, Awesome. We are getting lots of requests about where they can get it, where, where more people can get it, and we're working on it. Uh, so, if you keep an eye on our website or our social media, then uh, news will go out as uh, soon as links we have
0: in the uh, in the show notes, probably.
12: Excellent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, what's your advice for other educators who want to make games to enhance and you know deliver their teaching?
12: I think two things that happened for catastrophic that were really important for for its success was working with a wide range of people who knew what they were doing. Um, so I had students in on the team. I had biology students who'd done the module that we were interested in pulling together. I had game design students. I also had gaming academics and education academics as well. So it was a big team and it was interdisciplinary. There's lots of games research at York, so that was that was good for me. Um, but I think that really helped set the 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 boundaries of what we were trying to achieve and how we were going to do it. And the other thing I would say is playtesting it mm. massively. Mm. Um, so we were lucky because we had quite a big team and we did it over a summer. Version one got played with a lot of people, like hundreds of people, multiple times. Um, we then gave it to 200 students. That's we, a lot of play testing. Good we did focus yeah. groups with them. Uh, we evaluated that data and then we got another version of it revised the following summer which is when we got the um the population tokens Mm -hmm. into the game we changed the rules a little bit tweaked the cards a bit so that nuclear winter wasn't quite so devastating um and and that sort of thing so we play testing and then revising it so that it really works i think is is really important as well
7: and i've got one which is uh look for the game mechanic in the discipline that you're teaching and i think that's that that's you know i mean that you started off with that and that's possibly so obvious that it was just an implicit step that you didn't even consider but i think so many people try and force a game into something where it it doesn't necessarily fit but actually if you've got something that is if you if there's a game element to whatever it is that you're doing i think that you're already a couple of steps ahead of, of trying to get to something that's playable at the end really
0: yeah really communicating the essence of it the uh the brutality <laughs> yeah brutality <laughs> and competitiveness
7: yeah and there are yeah. choices you make about the dis- the population and like and all that well, obviously people know this but it's those are the things that are intrinsic to what you're teaching and those are game element, life is a game, you know, evolution yeah. is a game.
12: I think that's right. And it's um, reflecting on why you want to do a game. Because mm-hmm. if you want to do a game because you just want to make it fun, you're going to make a very different game to if you are trying to be in a system that is like a game, which I think is what
0: we were yeah. doing. Yeah. So how's your playful learning conference going so far?
12: Amazing. I'm exhausted.
0: <laughs> I <think we're> all... <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's got one question left for you, which is, If you were a board game, what board game would you be? That's a tough
12: question. trying to think of the board games I've played recently and really enjoyed. I'd probably be catastrophic.
0: (laughs) Oh, they gave a double plug. (laughs) (laughs) Brutal. You heard it first. Yeah. (laughs) So is that
7: because you've, you've, built in so many things that you're uh, not just fence-sitting, but also um, you're a multidisciplinary, which means that you've actually got lots of responses available and so therefore you're more adaptable to different changes in the environment. Is that I, the way your career's gone?
12: Um, yeah, and I think okay. there's there's something about ecologists that have a, you know, we, we, we like to see the big picture. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the mass bit, I like to see the little things and I like to see how they fit together. Um, so Catastrophic is kind of my, my world view.
0: Love it. Absolutely love it, Penn. Thank you so very much for joining us. Um, This is... How do I end the show normally? Oh, yeah. Um, Shall I I wrap this up? Have I missed anything? No, no. I think that's that's everything. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, cool. I'll wrap this up then. Like catastrophic. Even if
7: if you don't teach ecology. It's a good game. It's like a genuinely good game. It's a good game.
0: Yeah, and you'll learn things. You'll learn things about leaves. No, you didn't learn anything about it. I learned about. Hey, I, I learned. I learned. I learned the what, uh, but not the, the how why or okay, why. the how. Yeah, right, okay. yeah, I, yeah. But
12: you can read the flavor text, and then you can learn the biology. I too. See,
0: exactly. You, you could learn. You could learn. You could learn enough to escape the global. You know, the incoming total collapse of both ecology and society.
7: We can't because everybody Possibly. else has got to learn it too. <laughs> That's what ecology is all about.
0: Yeah, I figured I would just paint myself with stripes, though. Right afterwards. <laughs> well, I'd be like, aha part of the surroundings now
12: knowing it's coming and being able to survive it at different things
0: and thus ended day two with a back to the future screening uh, it was interactive it was mad it was wonderful there were glow sticks which you turned into flux capacitors there was a little flag to wave if things were getting a little bit like not cool not okay because you know it's an old movie there were uh, what else there were little skateboards and things to whenever marty was skateboarding um what a boo biff and woof whenever uh, um einstein was on screen it was uh, oh it was a real experience it was it was amazing um, and there was good food as well it was just a, it was a really really pleasant evening anyway then off to bed and then awake again for day three the final day um i started my final day uh, with another flurry of recordings uh one or two of which i might pepper out uh, throughout the rest of throughout the rest of this little conference in a pod, and the rest of which will most definitely be published at a later date. My first of the the sessions on day three was Stephen Casper's playful approach to uh, video and media creation uh, in education and uh, and academic content, and this really um, resonated for me. This one, so he talked us through a range of techniques and approaches uh, that could be introduced to. Video content or sort of playful approaches, um, and yeah, he was really frank about kind of you know the development time that this needs to actually introduce. It. It's not just a case of oh, we're going to be playful and kind of fun and engaging in our videos. You know, it was very upfront about the fact that it you know he needs to take time to sit down and think about and storyboard these. Um, and then he actually sort of as part of the activity, this challenged us as a group to follow a sort of storyboarding approach to present uh, a playful and engaging take on a piece of subject matter to expertise um, which to be honest was kind of where our group very nearly fell flat on our face at the first hurdle uh, because I think as a, as a table we, we sort of we had a talk around and uh, this is the problem you've got too many like world-beating experts in the room it's a little bit hard to settle on, on one thing to teach and I think we really struggled to, uh, to pin down a single kind of coherent learning outcome uh, and then because of this we found it quite hard to develop this forwards into an idea so it's you know good to know that the old constructive alignment so it applies at both the micro uh, and the macro level uh in that regard um and yeah just making sure that you've got your foundations um established first but anyway yeah so steven had this really cool matrix um of ideas to try and spice up your videos so you know um some of them may sound familiar like so, you know introducing uh, analogies um kind of pop culture references things like that um uh, presenting things in just sort of yeah, fun and unusual ways, just kind of like, you know, a, a, almost like a, a, just a series of bullet points of little ideas that you could introduce to things just to make them a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit less dry. I mean, as he said, the session's called No More Talking Heads. I think that's very much the kind of thing he was trying to get away from. And one of the slides he showed us, um, I, I took a photo of because I really loved it, it was introducing playful elements to your videos. And I'll just read you the points here. Uh, first one, uh, planning for play. So suggesting tone, collaborating on ideas. So a pre-interview, to talk through with your subject matter expert, um, is there an expression of the subject matter? Uh, is there a link to a place for an activity? Is there a metaphor, a way of visualising this? Is there a story or an example? Um, and I kind of sort of, not a double take, but I was like, oh, I suppose that's what we, Mark and I, have accidentally been doing with with Pedagogilla. We'll often sort of, you know, the episodes themselves will start with that first point, kind of collaborating on the initial ideas. That's sort all of that pre-interview. Um, with a question mark subject matter expert much easier when we've got a guest coming in who's, a, who's an expert on a particular aspect of, uh, of learning and teaching or pedagogy um, and then actually the big thing for us is, is finding the uh, the metaphors and the expressions of the idea so working out what kind of what the key points of the idea are what the expression is and then what you know what um, pop culture thing we can use as a metaphor in order to uh, understand it as, as a framework to, uh, to understand it and then kind of is there a story or example? You know, we do try and we have we do try and sort of build a narrative throughout these. It's a it's a discovery process where we try and answer a question. So yeah, I was just like, ah, oh, this is you know, it, it's not something I'd considered in that respect before. But it's just a wonderful way of just boiling down kind of the essence of how you can apply this—not just how we've done it in podcasting, but how you could apply it to to all sort of media creation. But yeah, so uh, really enjoyed that, and I feel like there's probably more meat to uh, to chew off that. So. Uh, Yes, uh, Stephen, if you're listening, uh, get in touch. I'd love to, uh, to chat about that further and have, have you on the show and uh, perhaps go through some more fun ways to, uh, to spice up AV. Now, while I was uh, away doing the, uh, the day three parallel sessions and having a lovely time, uh, Mark uh, opted to stay behind and man the podcasting booth because we still had a, a lot of people that we wanted to, uh, to record with. And it's given me a great deal of pleasure to uh, listen back to what he recorded without me then and find them opening like this. <laughs> and we're off. lovely Right then. So uh,
7: I've, I'm in charge now, so I have to do the whole Hello, welcome to Pedagodzilla. This is the pop culture podcast with the pedagogy core. And I've got that the wrong way around, but it doesn't matter. The um, amateur, amateur level is now showing. Um, so I'm Mark. Uh, I'm a... Uh, Imposter syndrome incarnate, um, which is Mike's usual role, but that's because I now have in, intense imposter syndrome about actually running this podcast and the whole booth and the whole and everything like this. Anyway, today we have Dave White. Hello, um, hello, hello. So we have some questions which I'm going to ask, but do you want to just talk about yourself, Dave, and what you do and 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 how and also maybe? Do uh, I want to talk about myself? Yeah, uh, being a rule breaker. Are we calling now, Dave? Two desserts, White. <laughs> We had a little
13: incident at lunch (laughs) where I picked up two desserts because I was really hungry and the desserts were fairly modest in size. And a member of staff informed me in no uncertain terms that I wasn't allowed two desserts and I had to take one back. Even though one of them was fruit. Which isn't a dessert. (laughs) <laughs> so that's so there you go i am a rule breaker i'm just
7: not consciously or not until i'm told yeah and you think you, that's helped with you getting where you are uh, uh, dave is just now about to take on the role of chair no president viva el presidente of alt yeah no i've been doing it for a while you oh, you've been doing know. it for a while I yeah
13: that's how, that's how effective that's how What <laughs> i, am. Well, I yeah, rule breaking i don't know i think i mean obviously i am a middle-aged white male so mm. I, I have you know, there's some structural
7: things that have helped that, that you get to where done you any, are.
13: Any harm? Which, to be fair, but back in the day, I didn't. Can I just, just... move you a bit closer to the
7: mic? Yes, you get hello. Yeah, quite in... that close. Oh, okay. well, okay. there you go. They go. That's Do brilliant. That's brilliant. Conquer. Okay. Um,
3: it, 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 <laughs> yeah.
13: So. Um, I don't know really. I was refle- I was thinking about this uh, uh just just uh yesterday actually. Yeah. Don't really know how I ended up where I where I have. Didn't particularly have a game plan. Some of it's got to be structural privilege, right? Because yeah. because that you could only you could only say that if the world had decided that you were the kind of person that ought to be in that position.
7: I guess yeah. Um and you're also your day job because obviously that's not it's, your main thing.
13: Yeah, um Head of Digital Education at the University of the Arts London. Right. Which I think um, I ended up there because quite sort of over a decade ago, JISC had, were quite generous with their sort of funding to do interesting and bizarre things. And I did some of those interesting, bizarre things, which allowed me to, you know, come up with some thinking that people responded positively to. And I I think uh, that, you know that people found those ideas useful, mm-hmm. and then the and visitors and residents. Well, thing, yeah, that but
7: other things, yeah,
13: and other things, and just generally. And then, and then I think that, in you know, universities, then imagine that if you can come up with an interesting idea that people like, then you must be capable of running a bit of a university, which I'm not <laughs> entirely sure is true. No, but, but I think that sort. Of, I think other than are it's also like a profile thing, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not well am I good at doing that I think it's I think it's a difficult thing to do. It's much harder to run a chunk of a university than it is to come up with a few good ideas
7: and and blog about them right oh and you do have a yeah well we'll talk about the blog later so all but, right um, yeah okay so what brings talking about a game plan what brings you to playful learning well uh, a number
13: of things uh uh there's, there's a whole community of people that I just really like uh because I think yeah d- yeah Mark is signaling. <laughs> pointing at himself <laughs> listener so obviously i'm <laughs> under pressure to about, say something there <laughs> obviously i'm thinking about you um <laughs> is, i think the kind of people that come to playful learning are then they're, they're they're in it because they love it mm. and unlike some academic conferences let's say there's the, people aren't people aren't in it for careerist reasons they're in it because they're sort of nerds for it Mm. and and i love i love a a nerdy creative environment so i i actually find it very restful and often i'll take away really interesting ideas about playful learning quite often i'll find that i'll i've figured something out about my day job because it creates a, a kind of mental space for me that's away from the hurly burly of of the day job yeah and that's happened this time so uh, and I, I think I probably come to every playful learning. There's oh, been, cool. yeah, um, yeah. It's a bit, and I and I give myself permission to not ever run a session.
7: Yeah, that's. I mean, it's been quite nice just doing this podcast thing before, and um, but yeah, and it's sitting out and doing your own thing, and it is good at actually saying, you know what. Pick the things you want to do, and it's okay to just go off and play a game, or sit quietly. And there's a quiet room, and we yeah. play with Lego. And yeah,
13: well, it, you could say that it embodies its own ideology. Oh, that was a bit of a big idea, wasn't it? <laughs> but it, but it really does. Yeah. And so so the actual the actual substance and format of playful learning as a conference is playful. Yeah, and it does then create the conditions for you to be able to go you know i'm not going to go to a session i'm just going to sit over here and have a bit of a think
7: yeah and it's not just the content it's the mode that i think it's affecting my practice so it's sort of okay i'm not just the things that i've learned but how it's been delivered is actually oh that's okay so i can't do what they've been talking about yeah what they've done is the how they've portrayed it either um yeah delivered it is actually how well i I had that i i
13: I mean i had a bit of an epiphany in the last session which is about playful leadership and i realized that um that I just, I, I probably need to leave my team to get on with things more mm-hmm. because my presence is not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to find a constructive <laughs> No, I've honestly, yeah. I, honestly, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but as a form of playful leadership, I've, 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 on, I've I'm going to experiment with the idea that I will go to our team meetings, but I will formally leave halfway through. Right. Just to give people the space to talk about the things that they want to talk about. Without me being there, and either talking too much, or, or or creating a culture just because of my
7: presence, if you like, yeah, yeah, that, that actually modifies what happens because you are not normally you, you are the leader, but you have to.
13: Be... Yeah, and it's taken me, and, and and it's taken. This is quite. This is quite. I'm being very honest. Yeah, well, being that's recorded. That's... <laughs> it's taken me. It t- it's taken me a long time to be honest with myself about being about being in that. Um, leadership position yeah because i'm one of those terrible david brent type people that goes yeah i know i'm the boss but actually i'm just like a groovy groovy entertainer and it's just that's just awful
7: yeah but if it's not your identity to be the person at the top if that's not how you see that's not how you are or want to be seen then actually it's quite difficult no i I like it you like being in charge i like being in charge (laughs) you don't like to be seen as being okay yeah but i like to try and dissemble the structural power that i've been handed okay Okay. do you see what i mean yeah i see what you mean yeah yeah so um, we've got some questions. Oh, that was no, just the, no, was no, just no, the intro. I know, that was just That's the intro. I know. Uh, so um, the, the structure is, because it's the pedagogy popca- podcast with the pop culture core, we have to do a pop cultural thing. We're talking about games this time. So can you talk about a game that you really like or a bit drawn to? Video, board game, sports. We're going to have a sports person on, but he's Um Well, <laughs> aren't there sports people at Playful It's He's one of the crew. This is <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> There's a lot of play at play from no. He's none a student of it is here like that running it. fast. No, anything. no, no. Well, Rosie runs, That's but uh, but this guy's a footballer, but he's had to go. So there we go. All, All right. right. Well, I think
13: uh, games that I've really enjoyed um, over the pandemic, we got together and played um, Obradin, which is a computer game. Oh, I don't know that one. Which is very. It's got a very controlled aesthetic, so it's just in browns. <laughs> Sounds weird, and it's like a weird um, time traveling detective story but it's very yeah. very atmospheric okay so it's you end up it, it's it's like halfway between watching a kind of the feeling you get when you're playing it is a, is a halfway between watching a kind of th- spooky who done it cinema piece of cinema but it also has all of the kind of puzzle elements to it as well so oh that's a good one cool. and then another another one that i i really liked until my kids got much better at it than me mm-hmm. it was um it's dixit because i like the fact that it's that it has it doesn't have any elements of chance in it it's, it's yeah. like an entirely it's an entirely creative process and to win it you have to you have to understand how other other people in the group think mm-hmm. and then translate accordingly which 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 i find quite restful so after a long day at work mm-hmm. i don't particularly like board games that involve
7: a lot of organized and super structural thinking if you like but you still like to win at them because you're saying that you like it less now the kids can win.
13: I, you know, I describe myself as not competitive, but that's just smoke and mirrors. Mm. And actually, so the, the core example being Scrabble, because I, I might, I might be kind of undiagnosed dysne- dyslexic. I'm mm-hmm. certainly a bit sort of, I struggle with spelling. So I find Scrabble a process of discovering that I'm really bad at something. And if I don't win at Scrabble, I will be furious for about a day and a half. (laughs) Literally, (laughs) like... Furious, so right. I just try not to play it. I can see the
7: David Brent coming through things. Yeah, in the game. oh there yeah, as yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's I'm just like, chilled I don't out guy, but I'm not. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. I am to win. I'm I'm really chilled out not. guy, but I need to win.
13: <laughs> yeah, I'm chilled out if I win.
7: Yeah, oh, okay. It's yeah, like
13: I'm happy to do. I'm happy to do teamwork as mm-hmm. long as I'm in charge. Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm that
7: bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we were also saying, so the, 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 we were also talking about practice and what your practice is, but we've probably gone into that in quite a quite a big depth. Is you're running a team in? Um, I'm running a team, well, there's a, the, 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 there's a team of us and we,
13: we, we're developing a lot of fully online distance mm-hmm. learning. And I also, I'm also to do with the sort of blended learning provision and all of that kind of stuff. I'd say my personal practice is probably talking. <laughs> because being at the University of the Arts London, you can get quite upset about the idea of practice. Because you half the people you work with, they're like artists. Yeah. So it's like, oh, what, what, you know, what do you do? I'll show you some of my drawings. You're like, that's just amazing, and I feel, mm. I feel complete because obviously I'm too small minded to just rejoice in that. I just yeah, feel I mean, yeah, and, and, and then one day well, a well, colleague well. said to me, I said, I don't think I've got a practice. Don't actually do anything. Mm. And he went, No, I think your practice is talking, and I'd never seen it in those terms before, but actually it is it's a thing isn't it
7: yeah and if you get two people talking to each other as well and facilitate that and no it's all about you talking it's just, real talk. <laughs> it's just well mm. Mm. should we move on okay well, <laughs> well the next bit is to sort of talk about well i was going to say a university of arts london and this is an aside but um how did that cope with the if you've got lots of people are doing oh okay yeah with yeah, the, yeah with the pandemic
13: yeah. well quite well actually yeah so what i won't go into it in massive detail we did like a rag rating of all our courses, which was based on is it impossible to put your course online? Mm. And only a few of them came out as like red. And they were things like ceramics and shoe making and yeah. like that, the, the, the really, really physical making stuff. All of the other courses kind of shifted their learning outcomes. And the really positive bit of it was the emphasis shifted from. In our assessment criteria, we've, there's a couple of them. One of them is realisation and one of them is process, right? Over the pandemic, we shifted a lot of our learning outcomes to focus on process, not realisation. So it wasn't about the thing that you'd made. It was about the thinking that had gone into the thing that you might make. Yes, and that's the same. And that's, well, you know, the theory is we assess learning. We don't assess things, mm. right? So you might, you might come up with a sculpture. You might make a sculpture But what we're assessing is the thinking that went into creating that final artefact. So in some ways, the pandemic forced us to undertake the teaching and learning that we always claimed we had done. So it was quite and it was that was
7: quite positive, actually, that aspect of it. Tough for the students. though. Yeah. So um, so the final bit is then talking about how your approach to games and the games that you like, how is that reflected in your practice? If there's an overlap.
13: Well, I've got a kind of cheesy answer. Are
7: you ready yeah, for Yeah, yeah, cheese Cheese is what we do. That's, well, I've um, never... Made bread and butter. <laughs>
13: <laughs> okay, let's go right in there. It's like a Brie-level comment, Mark. Is, I, 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 I've never been disappointed when I've considered the university in game terms. Right. So I'm not gaming the university or my job. I'm not gaming it. But if it, looking at it in terms of... Um, you know, what's the currency here? Mm. You know, there's three different sort of tactics you could have to try and achieve something. Which one of those strategies is going to work best? Um, is it's all a game, Mark. It's just a game. Yeah, it's it's, all, a game. A game. it's <laughs> all a game. There's right. winners, there's losers. It's just, it's just a game. You're either in the game or you're just, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, So that's why it's just Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But so... Uh, I I find thinking of things in playful and game terms is, is actually quite a good way of stepping back and getting perspective. Mm. It's not I don't do it in like a dehumanizing way. Obviously there's lots of people involved and and uh, you have to be sensitive to the fact that uh the people are not just pieces. Exactly. Yeah. So I never do that no. just to be clear. But I think the times when I've been worst at my day job is when I've taken it too seriously. Oh, that right. makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and if I just step back a little bit and go, well, you know, let's just get, let's just, let's just calm down mm-hmm. a bit, have a look at it in a bit more of a sort of gamey way, mm-hmm. then actually the quality of what I do and how I support other
7: people at work tends to improve. Oh, that's really cool. And is that would that? Have you got tips for other people? then? is that what what it would be? Would be try and look at it. From that perspective sometimes.
13: I think if you can, and it's a difficult thing to do, if you're finding work stressful, um, imagine you're someone who doesn't care. (laughs) (laughs) And look at it with that mindset on You'll quite often make really good decisions because what I think what happens is you you get... um, you get too close to it, don't you? You can't see yeah. it clearly, and you don't, and you lose perspective on which bits are important and which bits aren't important. You can't identify the difference, yeah. and then you make bad decisions or you annoy people or what have you. So I think I think sort of going, well, wait a minute, what if it was? What if it's just a game? What if it's all just a game? <laughs> a uh, game that I'm going to win. <laughs> yeah, I have to win. I have to win. There there are no win criteria. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, then then it yeah. it it can help um and and like coming back around to the reason why i come to the conference is that it gives me a bit of a critical distance or it gets me out of the sort of all-pervading culture of my own Mm. institution and then you you go i was trying to solve that problem that's the wrong problem it's not even a problem
7: gives you a way to reframe it from a more playful perspective
13: well i guess i'm using playful thinking as a way of creating that perspective right is one way of looking at it okay
7: that's cool right okay yeah that was that was it I know you've got preparation or something to get off I've got
13: all sorts to do. Ah, oh you're that a busy very, man you're a busy that, man that was very enjoyable thank you
0: my last parallel session was Claire Ashworth's When Comedy Met Coaching uh, really high energy and my goodness gracious me How we had anything left in the tank by this point is completely beyond me. Uh, But sorry, a really high energy, uh, hands-on bash at using improv comedy warm-ups and techniques to uh, improve our active listening skills in coaching. And there's a a confluence of things I I bet you never hear smashed together. Now, as somebody who spent what feels like um, five gazillion hours of the last two and a half years in one long Microsoft Teams meeting... Um, it was a genuine shock to the system to, uh, to kind of to actively engage with uh, with a group of people uh, in the same space that big. Um, and the approaches that Claire um, showed us and got us to practice and participate in, uh, really ended up kind of tuning you in to the other people in the space, uh, and make you give them your full and active attention. We did some kind of really good uh, active speaking and active listening um, activities, and you really end up having to refocus how much of your attention you actually realise you're giving to people uh, something that's perhaps been blunted a little bit by uh, by so many online meetings over the last few years um, for me it was an interesting kind of return to some things that I hadn't really thought about in a few years um, I'd used several of those techniques myself um, in my own degree um, uh, which was drama, film and television, Abrus with many many moons ago uh, where to be perfectly honest I focused on script writing but I did still do some act stuff but I've also done a lot of Amdram over the years and sort of bits of Shakespeare and all sorts um, so yeah I hadn't um, used some of those techniques for quite some time and never in that context so it was yeah really nice to return to them and, and think about how I can adapt them for use in a more professional context so yeah something that I'll be reflecting on over the next couple of months will be thinking about how I can potentially use these um, online remotely through video calls and that kind of thing um, which at the end of the day accounts for a lot of my practice. So, yeah, seeing if I can make that work somehow. And so to the third and the final keynote and the close of the conference. Now, the uh, the keynote was presented by the effervescent uh, Professor Sylvester Arnab, um, who took us through a dizzying variety of the initiatives and projects that he's founded and been involved in and just generally given a, a good old Shaking, uh, Sylvester may be genuinely one of the most um, creative and kind of just, yeah, intimidatingly active people uh, that I've ever met. With uh, the Game Changers initiative, um, very much being a big shiny diamond in his his crown of achievement. Um, this particular initiative, uh, operating out of Coventry University, is, uh, as I understand it, a hybrid open game design course and community, uh, which looks at practical ways to implement uh, playful approaches in academic contexts. Uh, yeah, and if that, uh, that tagline doesn't hook you, I don't know what will. Uh, something Sylvester discussed, which I felt really pulled things together, um, some of the threads that we've been kind of talking about throughout the conference, was how play and games in education uh, still needed to be grounded in pedagogy. So what is the learning outcome or learning gap? How will this game mechanic or playful activity support it? What are the verbs? How are they connecting? How are we tracking change and building in reflection? And, you know, as with all learning activity, these still have to be functional. He also reminded us that despite play often lining up with, you know, your own gut instincts of, uh, of what's good and fun and brilliant, um, good pedagogy is supported by evidence and research. Um, and yeah, and Sylvester's own uh, personal bibliography, is that the, the phrase, list of publications? Things that he's, he's authored, co-authored or co- co- co-authored um, could fill a um, a medium-sized canal boat Um or or six uh, Citroën C3s. Um, And yeah, and it's just general kind of call to action to identify gaps in literature um, and attack them. Uh, is sort of an encouragement not to forget that, you know, even in education, play is still very much a serious business. Now, uh, I recorded Sylvester's keynote um, in what I can only very shamefully describe as some suboptimal audio conditions. Uh, It was with my adorable little Zoom H2n uh, set to a kind of wide room capture mode. Um, And in doing that, I somehow managed to make the actual capture extremely wide. So it's picked up a lot of echo. It's picked up a lot of sound of the room. uh, It's picked up a lot of sound of various tables and things, bumping and bouncing along, uh, people typing on the same table, uh, and me occasionally repositioning it, trying to get it to to a slightly happier place. Um, So yes, I apologise profusely for the the quality of the audio here. Um, I'm afraid... This is kind of as it is. Uh, but saying that, I would really, really like to talk to Sylvester a bit more uh, about what he discussed in his keynote. Uh, so I'm really hoping that uh, he and I can perhaps get in a recording on the show at a future date and we can properly do his subject matter justice. Anyway, here's a representative 10 minute chunk of Sylvester's keynote. So we talk about play
14: and games play and game play, we know that play is such a huge broad spectrum of work and, and, and research and the reason why we are looking at games is the fact that it makes it easier to have conversations with people who are not familiar with, with, with play. to think about the magic circle in terms of how restrictive the, uh, the rules are for example um, if we think about uh, kids going to the uh, seaside to be playing with sun of course they can play as Freely as, as they want, but they will have their own rule while playing. For example, oh, I'm I'm gonna create the tallest, the largest castle compared to yours. Let's compete, or oh, let's work together to create this joint um sort of constructions. So there will always be certain level of rules um, involved in in, in, in in the way that we play. So. Um, so when we use this is to encourage people to understand more about the fact that we need to know what change that is going to happen, um, how change is going to be uh, enabled, and what are different things that we need to be careful about when we, 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 we deal with human beings. We are all different from different backgrounds, so it will be, it will be, it will be easy for us to be biased towards certain cultural uh, constructions around that particular game. Or play, perhaps. So, this, so these these are the questions that we keep on asking. There is not uh, there is no answer to this at all. But um, these are the things that we can actually work on. And in terms of play itself, um, we can see that during the um, COVID nineteen, I think it's it's now in the mainstream that parents are more convinced that you know games are actually beneficial to their children, especially during lockdown, where they will be able to socialise with friends online, they will be able to play games and explore and um, different environments and learn new skills. And these are the things that we can actually, uh, I hate the word exploit but perhaps something that we can learn from and the, the, the inspirations from this that can help us to have better conversations with those who are not familiar with games. And one thing that we are actually working on is very much around the open practice in the design of play and games. Um, especially those who are not familiar with this particular concept, so it's, 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 it's good to find different inspirations that can help us to in a way enable them to understand it better. So game changes, we investigate this in so many different ways, um, like branching inquiries. So there might be something that would be relevant for the sort of do, but I'm not going to talk about each and every one of them. But what I will talk about today is very much around the lessons learned and these are the things that i think that have been reflected um, uh, in this past three days the different things that we've we've been talking about the pedagogy what is the actual learning outcomes and today we talked about being a leader is the theories in a box somewhere but however we need to understand more about the learning theories behind what we're trying to do Um, And in terms of the ecosystem, ecosystem is key, it's like who are the stakeholders, who are we within that particular scenarios, and what are the methods in terms of the practical thing that people always ask, how, it's like you talk about all this, it's like it's all wonderful, yes, but how can we actually
3: do it practically? And talk about space, Um, today we talk about space, not just physical space, virtual space, mindset, practice space, all sorts of different things that we need to think about. And also community is more important because as you can see that all of us here are very much interested in play and how we can
14: actually use it in our context and our practice. So these are the key things I'm going to quickly just uh, go through. So in terms of play and games, there's no such thing as a formula. It is that, that makes it interesting because it helps us to explore things further without any prescribed rule on how to actually do it because all of us are different Um, so there is a need for us to in a way think about the granular relationships between whatever serious outcomes that you want to achieve and the mechanics and the dynamics and the aesthetics of our playful resources so I think in the different sessions I've been in I can see the interconnection between oh we're doing this part of this particular game because it will help us to address this particular competency or this particular, this particular issue. <coughs> so these are the things that we think about. I think um, the main gap in, in, in the literature, yeah. It's, um, some people would look at me and say that, oh, especially those who are not familiar with serious games, playful learning, they will say that, oh, so there's, so there's no guarantee that it's going to work, uh, where there are a lot of evidence out there um, in terms of different specific scenarios that we can take inspirations from so we can actually help them to understand more about the process that, that we would go through. And one of the one of the things that we are working on and I think um, a few of you are familiar with this, like Daisy is also looking at this sort of thing as well in terms of the connection between the learning and the the game. So these are all research work, theories and not. But what we are trying to do here is encourage people to think about the connection between the granular aspects of what you're creating, and how can it better connect to different types of learning that can happen? What are the verbs in learning that can actually help us understand? So there are so many different learning theories out there. So it's it will allow us to be able to um, perhaps some people might not want to measure or or, or in a way track change is going to happen in the game. However, it is important for us to understand more about at which point of the playful activity, which is more free, that you can stop and then do a reflection. So you can reflect on learning. So what have you learned? Can you go forward to the next round of the, uh, uh, the play itself? So this has been used to design some different, different, different games. Um, but I'm going to talk about them today. One of the examples here, uh, this is um, a piece of work that we did in trying to encourage people to think about cultural. Uh,
3: intelligence in terms of um, thinking about how can we work in a
14: multicultural organization and how can we understand each other in terms of the cultural differences that, that, that we have. So we actually work with practitioners to get them to do this in terms of trying to understand more about what is the actual learning that I want to address, and how can we then, in a way embed inspirations from games of play that will allow us to make it happen. Uh, you know, in terms of the physical sense. Um, so they have gone through this process and uh, they are actually using it in their organization. And this is an example, I've been to so many escape room sessions yesterday, the, the whole day, I, 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 I made a point to see the different examples of what everyone had done. Uh, but this is an example of um, creating something at the speed of need. Uh, there were lecturers at
3: universities who had to teach. We're in lockdown and and, and they have to teach on teams.
14: They say that we don't have any time to to get anything, no budget to buy anything that will allow us to create something that is more active. What can we do? So we went through the same process. What are the actual learning gaps that you want to address? How do you think they should learn this? And what can you, in a way, track in terms of ensuring that the students will be learning? exactly what you want them to learn and also explore further areas within a particular topic and match it against the game mechanics and match it against the resources that they will need to create. And they managed to create this in three weeks and um, they are running it for the third cohort now. Um, so they created it themselves, so our intention in game is not us creating it, it's them creating it. It's more powerful, it's a sense of ownership that is also an aspect of play, the sense of autonomy, agency, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, so this is an example. Um, So you can actually have a look at the guidelines on how you can actually create this. Everything is for free, so it has been used in so many other institutions as well. And in terms of sensitive issues, that sort of provide a bit more careful thought around the creation of the escape rooms, for example, this one using the same approach, and to include some of those different cultural uh, connection of what you're trying to do, making sure that if you are talking about modern s- s- slavery in terms of this particular context, you have to actually work with experts in terms of uh, trying to understand more about the context and how you can actually address what types of awareness that you want to uh, get you to engage with in this particular experience. And, um, and it has to extend to also look at motivation. So why I'm showing this is, this is like a call out for anyone who is interested to really explore the interconnection between play and what are the serious outcomes that we wish to address and the process in between what actually happened. I think I find this very interesting. And, and I think this will help us to provide more evidence on how you um, can actually create something that is powerful. So yeah, so this is one of the, 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 the project that we are working on at the moment, and Luca Morini is, is part of the project as well. So we want to understand more about the connection between faithfulness and resilience. And because it is going to be, be implemented in schools in Asia, So they are very much restricted by the curriculum, restricted by all sorts of different things. So if you want to do it formally, how can we provide the evidence in terms of connection between the playful aspects, in terms of how can we create uh, using the playful aspect to create the playful learning? What are different types of competencies that would then develop resilience? So this is something that's still messy. um, so this is something that we are very much interested in, so I would encourage everyone to try and think about how they can map their playful aspects or dimensions to the actual serious outcomes that we wish to address. Not just outcomes, the process of learning. And ecosystem. This is one thing that uh, most people would forget about, especially when... I, I used to be part of the Serious Games Institute, so we are very much interested in all the... And our friend here as well, but the Serious Games it's in, is it since 10 years ago? Yeah, nearly. I think nearly, it's yeah, yeah. Less, yeah. Old friends of, So we, we are very much interested in technology, everything shiny sort of thing. So we want to create games, oh, this is what we should create, but then, then what do you think we should create? How would that help your community? So we created something, gave it to the teachers, thinking that they would love it and said, this is not what, what we want, we don't need this. <laughs> So, we had to really break everything down and then learn like a, a, a lesson in thinking about the ecosystem of that particular playful resources that you're going, to, you're going to create. Where is it going to situate? Is it, is it, is it going to be within an intervention, within a classroom setting, or you know, all sorts of different considerations that we think about? And one thing that we are working on is where well, I just would use the word trans, this this, did not, this I do not even have to pronounce it but anyway it's trans but anyway um, so the one way that I look at trans this, this is it's like a cake, right It's like you, you have different items that you can combine and that create a cake, and the cake doesn't resemble flour doesn't resemble uh, butter and I don't know what, what what are the other things you put in the cake. cake. <laughs> 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 sure. Sure. Sure.
3: Sure. Yeah lectures that I did not
14: actually picked up. Anyway, so I shouldn't go on. So yeah, so we look at this particular concept in sometimes you don't have the resources, we have the experts with you. So we need to, in the way, try and find ways to get more information about the different topics, different disciplines that we need to actually include in the creation of our playful resources. Um, So yeah, so... um, so we actually did this particular way to, try to understand more about how can we integrate different ways of getting people to work together. But of course that sort of model is too complicated, it's a bit researchy, it's a bit sort of like uh, how can we make it practical. But essentially it's, it's about how do you onboard people into this particular process and how do you actually get to practice it and then they will be able to master that particular process of creation. Um, so we always believe in the value of coming together and creating stuff, um, which I think is important, and this is something that, that we are pushing in terms of getting people to understand more about the ecosystem and try to get as many people in that particular ecosystem to work together and create them, because at the end of the day, if you want them to sustain it, they will have to be part of the creation process instead of us creating something and giving it away. So.
0: So that was just a very brief excerpt. If you'd like to hear the full version of Sylvester's keynote, uh, you can find it under the Pedagodzilla episode feed under the day three content. Just rejoining him now uh, at the end.
14: So in terms of space and community, so one thing that's is important is also the experience, create, not the instruments, it's not the methods is the experience that when encompass all those different things I just talked about how they will inform what experience that we want to create and with that thank you very
0: much now wasn't that mean and tricksy of me I led you in with the uh, the good clean clean crisp audio uh, and then yeah I uh, bamboozled you with the, the badly recorded stuff. My deepest and serious apologies. This probably doesn't matter to anybody else quite so much as it matters to me. But goodness gracious me, it hurts to publish audio that's gone quite so wonky. Anyway, uh, I've done a bit of clean-up on it, so hopefully you can understand what Sylvester's saying there. And boys, there a lot to digest. It's just a really, really good keynote. Then it was back over to our chairs and uh, Nick, Alex, Rosie, to start bringing the conference to a close, and I'll just cut across to them now. OK, so we're nearly at the end. We just have a couple of things to, to finish off, I think. But the first thing I think we, I think all of us like to say, um,
2: Rosie, Nick, and myself, I won't my slides, um, <laughs> is thank you, everybody. Uh, we're not going to do a thank you. You all make it every year, it's different every year because of everybody who's here and contributes to making it what it is. So, if you've presented, just been, just been somebody who's going along to sessions or playing in between the breaks, uh, keynoted, uh, organised, helped out in the desks, and so on, uh, it all makes the, the experience perfect for us anyway, and hopefully
0: for you as well.
2: So, thank you very much. Um...
0: And then, more thank yous and t shirts.
1: But you will notice thank there you. are a few extra t-shirts and there were a few other people <laughs> that when we were sort of sitting down working, what we're we going to do with all this extra fabric that we thought we really wanted to thank. Um, first of all, we love this silly,
14: <laughs> uh, so and we particularly like the responses. I like that one. Uh, so a big thank you to
3: Andy. <laughs>
1: Everything questions. that was crazy and silly about that so we really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I've said, so much at work, fellas. It's appreciated here. That's going to be my job for next week. I <laughs> uh, also really, really want to thank our uh, podcasters. So, <laughs> thank you, Mike. <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm literally podcasting now. <laughs>
0: Hot pink, please.
3: Of course. Oh, Banging. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. The prize for the
1: most dedicated perseverance in the quest for a T-shirt.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
10: Send that to the Nissan as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so whilst we said we wouldn't do individual thank yous, I'm very lucky that there's not a lot of time left. Uh, this is Nick's final year as chair.
2: Oh, come on. So tears oh. for later,
10: everyone. Uh, is it our fifth
14: anniversary? Yeah, fifth
10: straight seven. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm missing yeah. it. So, we're going to have to do something extra special uh, next time round. Um, this will be a really short slot because we haven't got time, but you couldn't be sadder than Alex and I at losing we're you. Losing <laughs> but she's going to keep coming and we're very excited. So, no expense spared, but I promise you're going to get better present than this because we need to go to the front.
3: Mm-hmm.
10: Um, so, we have crowdsourced a huge number of haikus about you. When I say crowd you might also want to use this as a notebook. book. not that many in there. Uh, we'd like you to maybe select a couple to share with the audience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like this one. This is nice. So, um, uh, balancing a frog
9: so very seriously. Made me lucky loads. Don't remember that, that's the (laughs) joke.
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Andy Ladder does largely ladder lessons now. A good man to know.
3: (laughs) 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 Particularly on the ladder one. But um Alex and I, once
1: we take a photo of Alex's name, we sent Andy Ladder an email that basically said, um Whilst having a photo of my
3: knee taken, I've landed my tights. <laughs> <laughs> so which she responded, well that depends if you've got a ladder,
1: eat your tights, or you've actually snagged your tights. The four I can help with, it, it'll take up to five minutes. Just made and i oh well, sort of
3: Thank you very much. that, that, that's, if can do it. I think that's what's done. You always said that you wanted to be out, right? so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> with no expense there. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, sorry. where is it? Here. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Still here. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it, isn't it. That's it. We'll Thank see you in Thank you. Thank you.
0: And that was that. Mark and I were really, I mean, genuinely so touched uh, to to get a thank you in the uh, in the closing uh, bit. Uh, and I love the t shirt and I love the mug and it makes me really really happy to uh, <laughs> uh, to look at it. Um, and yeah, I guess I just wanted to leave that last bit in because I'm again conscious the audio isn't great, but everybody's laughing a lot, everybody's having a, a great time, um, and it really really comes through. In uh, in how everybody's just I guess behaving in the uh, in the last bit, everybody was having a great time. It was such a wonderful environment to be in, such a fantastic collection of people. Um, yeah, it was a really really special. Uh, playful Learning's just been a, a fantastic conference. It brought together uh, creative, energetic, playful uh, educators, and just in this brilliant space uh, where it was madcap learning and high energy, and as you heard, a lot of laughter was you know absolutely the norm. Um. And in a really kind of beautifully meta way, the conference in itself is actually a, a really good example of, of playful learning. I mean, my hat goes off to uh, to Nick and Alex and Rosie and and the crew, The by no means small crew, they worked really, really hard for the amount of thought, work and curation that went into just everything feeling really frictionless and fun and playful and inclusive, I mean, if you're zigging while everybody else is zagging, then this may well be the place for you. It's, it's They've built a community of zig. um Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, we recorded uh, loads and loads of material. Um, and I've started listening back to some of it now uh, while we've been editing some of this together. And it's been really rewarding to both record and to listen back to and just sort of relive it and start to further digest some of the uh, the ideas coming out of it. I mean, Mark and I both have um, a little touch of the uh, the shy about us. Uh, a bit of the old social orcs. <laughs> uh, so having the podcast as a as a way that we could engage with people in a in a structured way um, that felt that felt useful that gave us a role and gave us a place um, was just was the perfect way for us to experience the conference. And we yeah we really really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So as the tea leaves of experience filter through the the hot water of reflection, just I guess share a few of my my final thoughts um, that have brewed about how I might translate some of this playfulness into my own practice. First of all, rules are like pens. If they don't work, then chuck them out. And it's not just the other uh, Rittany downy ones, but also the odd social and professional ones, like not using Rittany Downey um, in professional context and things like that. Uh, question the assumptions that rules are derived from. So does a, a rule or a structure I've used or imposed stem from a fundamental misassumption based around my own kind of ideals or preconceptions? In particular, is it an assumption of perceived challenge going to be a hurdle for some, but potentially a mountain for others? I'm going to try and take more opportunities to bring play into my practice. I mean, the exquisite corpse game, sort of anatomical origami, memes, uh, twine, uh, the copyright cabaret, they're all a reminder that if you've positioned things right, then play in its many forms can be as engaging and effective a way to learn and teach as any other, in many cases more so. But I think the most important thing is that it can help you bring more of your own authentic self into your practice. So you can pull in your passions and the accompanying confidence that you have in that forward into making the experience of learning and teaching itself better for you. And, you know, your students and audiences will benefit from that, too, because there's something very infectious about, you know, somebody having a good time. Conscious that the word infectious is a little bit loaded in 2022. But, you know, don't forget the pedagogy. Um, so, you know, while well, skipping around in the metaphorical candy store of learning and playful learning, uh, pulling fistfuls of fun and playful approaches off of the, uh, the shelves, just don't forget that the pedagogy still needs to be the foundation. Um, thanks Sylvester for the, the reminder on that. I mean, just, you know, working your way up from your learning outcomes as you would with any activity, align it to your curriculum and select playful tools that match what and how you're trying to teach. Um, and finally evidence, um, and this is something I'm very bad at and one of my things that I'm going to try and improve. Um, add to the growing pile of literature by evaluating your playful approaches. Um, if you're doing something, evaluate it, reflect on it and share the results with other community. If things go well, capture it, share it as good practice. And if things go terribly, then great, capture it and it'll be a cracking joke to tell over dinner at some point. And share it with us as well. So yeah, that's, um, that's it. That's this conference in a pod, the Pedagogzilla conference in a pod. Um, this has probably been about a third of the material uh, that we recorded. And as I've mentioned, probably several times by now, um, there's lots of excellent, lovely little juicy nuggets uh, that I'll be editing and publishing over the next couple of weeks and months. So uh, do keep a, an eye and an ear out for those because they are genuinely wonderful. Um, and I really, really enjoyed uh, speaking to them and uh, the wonderful pick and mix of just brilliant professional creatives at the conference. So next year, uh, Playful Learning 2023 is going to be from the 5th to the 7th of July uh, in Leicester again. And if you are of yourself, a ludic persuasion, or want to bring more playful approaches into your own practice, then uh, I look forward to seeing you there. So yeah, I've been Mike at Pedagodzilla. You can subscribe to us on all of your favourite apps, feeds, iTunes, and at our website, pedagodzilla.com. You can also follow us and get in touch via Twitter. I'm at Pedagodzilla, and you can reach Mark at Mark Childs. If you enjoyed the episode, um, and we really hope you did, then, you know, we don't always do conference in a pod, but, you know, if you've found this uh, useful to you, then do let me know, and I'll try and uh, perhaps do some more of these in the future for other conferences I attend. Anyway, love you lots, and we'll see you next time on Pedagodzilla and a playful learning. Bye-bye now.